Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are the Minimalists. Welcome to episode one, two, three. One, two, three. Man, this must be like the perfect episode for you, man. It is. It is the perfect episode, <laughs> one, two, three. <laughs> Have you ever seen the... Uh, the OCD cowboy. Oh, it's so oh, good. That <laughs> was The Simpsons, right? No. Oh, it was The Simpsons. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it's like shooting up in the air. One, two, three, four. Yeah, he's like, woohoo! One, two, three, four. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the running joke between me and Ryan for the longest time is, is that we are, one of us is OCD. That's me. One of us is ADD. And it's like the perfect what, compliment. What were you saying? <laughs> <laughs> We start over. <laughs> Ryan, I, br- I brought this fidget spinner for you. <laughs> so uh, we don't do any interviews on this podcast, but occasionally we bring some friends in to talk about some stuff. And since this is episode one, two, three, we thought we would talk about hobbies today. And we have a friend of ours, Paul Johnson. You may know him as Canyon City, or at least his music as, as Canyon City. He's here today to chat with us about hobbies. How you doing, Paul? Hey, I'm doing great. Thank you guys so much for having me. Dude, thanks for being here. We, we tried to do this before in Washington, D.C., oh, um, yeah. where when Josh got sick. And now here's the thing, man. Yes. I think that we probably could rename the minimalists the Josh and Ryan show. <laughs> so when you remove Josh or Ryan from the show, right. <laughs> it really creates a much <laughs> different dynamic. Now, I think I totally held it together when Josh got sick and wasn't able to join us in D.C. I think the crowd had a great time. It was a very unique experience. For sure. But, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to put that episode out personally. Um, I just, I need you, man. I need you, Josh. Well, I think the good news is we can edit it down. So there, there are certainly some nuggets in there. They're going to add value to people's lives. And I think what we'll do. Uh, yeah. Paul did great. <laughs> <laughs> you did great be, too, man. It was, it was a blast. We also had Cal Newport there at, who is just one of my favorite sort of public thinkers, right? Uh, he's a computer scientist from Georgetown. And so I think what we can do is chop that up, get get the 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 bits that are interesting and, and that will add value to our audience, and we can release that for our Patreon folks as a Patreon exclusive yeah, episode. There's definitely some nuggets in there for sure. Yeah, so and, and plus Paul, you played some some great songs. You you played my favorite song of yours that night. And we, we can dive into your music here in a second before we we've got some questions today from uh, some folks about hobbies. And now people hear that word hobby and and they'll they'll think that sometimes it's a, a stepping stone between something I enjoy doing, something maybe I'm interested in, and a career. And I think we can parse that out a little bit today. And for some people, that may be true. It may may mean you turn your hobby into a career. And that's why I thought it'd be interesting to have, have you here today, yeah. because you have turned something that was a hobby-esque <laughs> and, and, and into something that is... Um, your, your full-time gig now, and, and you yeah. play music for a living. I do, yeah. I'm very, very uh, fortunate and lucky and, and uh, happy, because that, that certainly is not anything that's owed to me. So it's uh, I'm grateful every day I get to do it. You, you grew up in Fargo. I did. It's grew up in Fargo, North Dakota. One uh, of our favorite cities. We actually, that's what city. I hear. TED Talk, right? Yeah, we did it. We did that's a TED awesome. Talk there. We've gone to a conference there a few times. and I, I did not... 
I did not know Fargo had so much culture, man. It's a great city. Neither did I. Unbelievable. <laughs> Is that why you laughed? Just I kidding. Mean. I love you, Fargo. Uh, <laughs> no, it's it's really grown in the last. So I left in 2008. Okay. Uh, initially, I moved down to Nashville and under the, like, the disguise of college, which didn't didn't quite take for me. Uh, yeah, me either. But, uh, yeah. but uh, when, I, when I left, I mean, I, I think it's, it's funny because like, you know, people that grow up in Nashville have the same thing where they're, they, they just want, I think everybody wants to make their own home somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think I had a little bit of that, but now when I come back and I visit, I can look at, you know, the old downtown and appreciate some of the history there and yeah. also see some of the ways that it's growing and changing. Uh, so it's definitely, there's, there's, there's a lot more there than I think I gave it credit for growing up, but I was just so, uh, I just felt so isolated and cold, <laughs> you know? Actually, ready to, ready to the, run. The first time Josh yeah. and I were there was 2014. And I, I, they didn't even at that point. I don't think they really had like a uh, a, a decent like coffee roaster there at yeah. this point. There's uh, several great coffee so shops. I now. was gonna say so in the last four, just in the last four years. Um, yeah, there are several coffee roasters now that are that are amazing. They've got oh, yeah. breweries opening up left and right. Uh, Fargo, it's a pretty uh, pretty amazing city. Uh, if if y'all haven't visited it. Yeah, you you have a song that, that it reminded me of this because I was listening to it and, and knowing the context of someone. So I was hoping to talk about some of your songs today because sure. I, I think, and I don't mean just to blow smoke, but I think it's true. I think you're one of the best just writers out there in general. Oh, you, man. Your, your, your music. Huge. Thank you. Your music set, you do some things with your music. You'll have these little one lines. That that like fully encompass what I try to write with an entire book, <laughs> and and oh, like I, there, there's something that's beautiful in in that brevity. But you have this song on your second album, which is it was uh, so every year I release my top ten like favorite albums of the year, and your album was my favorite album of last oh, year. Oh, I I appreciate that. I was I was blown away when I saw that because I I know you guys. Uh you know good stuff, so I was I was honored to be in that list. And I have a fairly eclectic uh, taste in music. You'll see like uh, yeah, little peep on there, and then also you'll see uh, Canyon, Canyon City. City. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, what we need to do is the the, the collaboration between the two. <laughs> have that, that track, that bonus track. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so I, I think the the what I what I noticed on on your new album is called Constellation, and uh, you had the song. It's called uh, For the Day, and oh, there's yeah. just this little little. It's almost like. If you if you weren't paying attention, it's a, a throwaway line sometimes to get you get you through. But you said the the summer's so long here, and I'm like only a person from Fargo is going to make a comment. Like that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The summer is long anywhere outside of Fargo if you're from oh, Fargo, yeah. right? That is one of the it's it's honestly I I actually appreciate growing up from Fargo for that thing. Is like if I a lot of people in Nashville are like oh, I miss the mountains and I miss you know. Like the, this, all this stuff that I can do outside. I'm like, if I see a hill, I'm excited. I'm like I'm just, you know, down. <laughs> so, so for those of you who have not been to Fargo, uh, which by the way, our documentary when we first finished the documentary, the first place we screened it, not even the final version, the first place we screened it was in Fargo, North Dakota. Really? Yeah, we we wow. went there, uh, awesome. the Fargo Theater downtown. We oh, yeah. we we filled it up with as many people that could fit into the theater, and we got a ton of really great feedback. It actually helped us shape the documentary and make it better. So wow, we owe a certain so debt cool. to Fargo, and we've done several tour stops out there. Yeah. I, I probably have more friends in Fargo than just about any other city really? in the country, which is really yeah. weird because I've never been there for longer than a week. But uh, but we whenever we go, like there's just a lot of culture per capita there and and once you once you sort of get in with the community and i find that's true anywhere if you move to nashville i think it's it's certainly similar there plus there's a lot of much bigger music scene in a place like nashville or la or 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 new york or 
if you go to Seoul or Tokyo, like it depends on where you go. The big cities will have what you want. Sometimes it makes it a little bit harder to find those pockets, but once you find them, um, you can really, really get into them. But we were lucky enough. First time we went out to Fargo, we found this this sort of pocket of of amazing creative people and entrepreneurs and all kinds of people. And and so we keep in touch with a lot of folks from from Fargo whenever whenever we get a chance. Yeah, but that's so cool, so full, full circle. I had no idea that the documentary started. Cause, I mean, I before I, I knew you guys was a big fan of the documentary oh, wow. and really got a lot uh, a lot from that and so that's so cool that it just comes full circle with the the origin story that's yeah, great. yeah, man. yeah you know so so um i hate telling people what they're i i, I know let me let me, rephrase, let me rephrase that real quick sure. i hate asking musicians what their songs are about because it's it's one yeah. of the worst it's like it's like almost a filler question right so what, what did you have in mind when you were, when you were writing this the song and it's like well, I, and uh, quite often the song is ruined when you ask a a uh, musician to explain. I, I think of this Jason Mraz song. Jason Mraz <laughs> ha- had a song that's like about snuggling up next to this this girl, looking or, deep into my eyes. Yeah, yeah like yeah, this got, really like sensual love song yeah. about his girlfriend. Yeah, and then at the beginning of the song, one of the live events, he goes, "I wrote this song about my cat." <laughs> and you're like he goes oh, I think I just ruined this song for you and it's so That's true hilarious. like it's a song about a cat and I couldn't Whoa. I'm like oh no like it was such like the sensual song and you're like no he just kind of likes hanging out with his cat on a, yeah, on a slow he, he day he picked up the cat lady demographic after that <laughs> That's <Yeah>. right. <laughs> so I, and I, I was figuring instead of and instead of asking you what certain songs or what certain music was about I was going through your album and, and I thought maybe like I think the nice thing about songwriting, even writing books or, or even blog posts for that matter, once you put it, sort of put it out in the world, it's less yours and it's more of a collective Absolutely. thing. And I feel like the people own it to a certain extent, or at least they own the meaning about what, what they can take away from it. And so for me, you write some of these lines that, that I just walk away from and I'm like, huh, I don't even know what that means at first. Or, wow, that's exactly what I've been trying to say. And so... Uh, what makes your your music different for me? It's well, first off, it sort of brought me back to this time of like 2007 when I was just really deep into singer songwriter music. I was really just digging into it. But it didn't. Your music didn't sound like anyone else. It just brought me back to that same sort of mind frame where it felt new again, oh, cool. and, and something felt new to me because I, there was this hopeful maturity to your music that I don't that I don't always hear in a lot of music and a lot of sort of singer songwriter music where it's like, you know, I love you. In fact, Ryan and I, <laughs> Ryan and I will joke about this sometimes where, where instead of, um, it's like we get the worst advice from pop songs, right? Like, like, um, it's, it's very dude, like that Imagine Dragons album was filled with the worst advice ever. <laughs> it's like great songs, but right. terrible advice sort yeah, of thing, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and you're, or, you know, I can't take my eyes off of you. Well, yeah, you probably should at some point. And, and like, <laughs> it's just so, it's so unrealistic. But but in and and it's almost like this this and I can appreciate it because you feel like that in the moment sometimes like mm-hmm. oh my god I die without this person I remember being eighteen and like how am I ever gonna live without this person and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she broke up with me and moved to Traverse City Michigan and I'm so I'm gonna drive to Traverse City Michigan in the in the winter in the snow <laughs> <laughs> the snow to visit her and her baby yes. <laughs> 
It's not you, a biographical. Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm speaking for a friend. Uh, but not, uh, no, seriously, driving up to Traverse City, Michigan, and like the snow is covering the stop signs. That's how, wow. like, and I'm like, what am I doing here? But it's like, I can't, and I think a lot of songs are that. It captures that emotion. But I'm, I'm older now, you know, I'm 36 years old. And, and and there's a certain maturity that I've realized, uh, and and a certain letting go, and the the ability to to move on. And you have you have two albums out, and and if I were to describe those two albums, the, the first one was uh, Midnight Waves, and the the reason that actually uh, so. He, he you were just in London recently you're on tour yep. you're in, on tour right now yep, right. Uh, we're fortunate enough to go see you uh, tomorrow night this will actually th- this will be out uh, not until March I think March 13th I believe it is so um, by the time this comes out Ryan and I are having a grand time in Australia that's right nice Josh uh, is already developing awesome. an accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was watching like some Peaky Blinders before I went out to London because I'm like, all right, I want to get in the you know mindset and uh, get the get the dialect in me. You know, yeah, it's it's funny. Uh, my my four year old, she got into this. Uh, the stage where she was watching this British cartoon called Peppa Pig, okay. and she started developing a British accent, <laughs> and she really likes chocolate, so she would just come to me and say, "Hey, can I can I have a box of chocolates?" <laughs> I'm like, "Well, this uh, you've been indoctrinated by Peppa Pig, that's great." <laughs> but anyway, I, I sent Paul a photo a few weeks ago. Uh, Sean was going out to buy a, a motorcycle way out in Azusa. Uh, California and the I didn't even know there was an Isuzu California <laughs> <laughs> Azusa birthplace of Tony Robbins there you go and uh, it's the Canyon City and so I just took a picture and he's like hey by the way I'm going to be in Los Angeles I'm like dude I know we've got we've got front row seats to the to the show on on Saturday night um, but anyway I, I, I I'm thinking back to to your music and and you have these two albums. I was dri- we were actually driving through Azusa listening to Midnight Waves, your first album, just totally coincidental. So cool. And I look up, and Sean looks up at the same time, and it's like Canyon City. And I look at my dash, and it says Canyon City. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I got to take a picture of this, send it over to Paul. Wow. Um, that first album, though, it was like uh, you were obviously younger. I mean, you're always younger on your first album than you are your second. For sure. Unless, For sure. well, unless <laughs> actually, here's a weird thing, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan's friends. We're, yes. we're recording that. episode one, two, three right now, yes. right? But we, we are actually younger when this episode comes out. <laughs> no, that's true. That's no. Wait, I'm, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We'll be we, older when it comes out. Yeah, we'll be older. So every recording of us is when we're younger. Is what <laughs> yes, you're trying to say. <laughs> it's like a, that's a Mitch Hedberg, a Mitch Hedberg joke. joke. Why does everyone say? Yeah. Why does everyone say? Look at this picture of me when I was younger. Every picture of you <laughs> of when you were younger. <laughs> that's right. But here's the weird thing. So uh, episode 122, we've tried to record twice and we have failed. Oh my and so God. technically, we are going to record the episode 122 after episode 123 if, if it works out <laughs> some twilight zone I, it is weird it's, it is it's weird. the worst it's episode of black mirror ever <laughs> 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 and and so um I, I was i was listening to that album and and i was saying there's a hopeful maturity to, to your music but that that first that first album was like uh, now the, the word i wrote down uh, well it, it felt like you were you were searching for hope or there was a a hopeful searching in in the word i wrote down that i made up as i often make up words was hope search like instead of hopeful like you were searching 
for for hope like there was a a hopefulness in the music but there was also a searching i won't i won't go to as far to say a yearning or a craving because there was a maturity to the music and, and and to the lyrics but then on the second album it was almost like the hope was found and so the word i wrote down was hope found hmm. and and uh as opposed to hopeful and which it was hopeful but like it like there was an increased level of of almost security maturity thoughtfulness in the music and i was hoping to talk to you about a few of the songs a few of the lyrics that really stood out to me instead of saying hey what did you mean by this line <laughs> um <clears throat> your first single from constellation was a song called our way am i correct in yep, that you had right. a, a really good video for it. we'll put a link to the the video the youtube video in the show notes for this and you had this uh this line that really reminded me of my life right now you said because though I hate how it feels, I love the heartache that brings me back to you. And it's like it's like this line about separation. <clears throat> and uh, Bex and I, my, my partner Bex, who um, you got to meet briefly did, while, yeah. while we were on tour. Um, and she she has the, you know so we have a, a child together, but her biological father lives in Montana still. And so Bex is sort of uh, between two worlds. She's 50% here, 50% of the time in Montana. Ella is back and forth. Like they just landed yesterday. We went to the beach immediately. Like I get in all this great time with them every other week sort of thing, right? And, but and then I'll, I'll go back to Montana occasionally and like but there there is this distance. And 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 with that distance sort of creates this 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 heartache, right? I love the heartache that brings me back yeah. to you. And 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 this line it was just like it perfectly described like i want to write a whole essay or do a whole episode on this and i'm like i don't have to like i have two lines here that can perfectly describe it and it's <laughs> oh, much so better in, in music because if i just if i were to write these down and it is poetry but if i just write it down it's beautiful but but when you sing it it's it's something else it it personifies the way that that i feel um and and, and it it's about this this distance and closing the distance. And Ryan, I know you feel this way because you're an extrovert. And so, w it, when when we were on the road in 2014, we we did 10 months on the road, 119 events, which is not impressive to a, a, a musician. Because oh, that's, that's plenty impressive. Uh, <laughs> that's incredible, dude. I have a whole new level of respect for touring musicians, man. Like oh, I, man. yeah, no wonder no wonder most of them turn to like hard drugs and alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Paul is shooting up right now. During right, this exactly. Interview. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I get it, Paul. So I mellow. get it, man. I get it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he just has the heroin nod as he's recording. <laughs> um, but but here's the thing. We were gone for, for 10 months of the year, and it was right at the beginning when you started dating Mariah. Yeah. It was, you know, six months before the tour started or, or whatever, maybe even and less than that. And you, you two had developed a really good rapport really quickly, but then you had all this distance between you for extended periods of time. Mm. And it's hard because you, you don't want that. You want to be by her side. You want to be there. You, you want to be able to, to have these face-to-face -face conversations. You want to be intimate. But that distance there also improves your relationship in a different way. And what I found with... Yep. With with Rebecca and, and and my relationship and and even with Ella, like that distance that that's there makes me it, it makes me appreciate those moments when when they come back, mm -hmm. and I think we lose that appreciation sometimes. So for me, the, the this song or especially this line was about was about the appreciation or, or the ability to appreciate the time that we have together and not taking that for granted. And there's there's a certain type of gratitude in that. Yeah. yeah, and it's a. I feel like in the absence of a person, sometimes all you have is the sting of of 
that missing, but but because that's still something you have, you, you kind of cherish it. Yeah. And uh, and so I think that, like for me, sometimes you know the sad song is exactly what I want to hear, is because it's even though it's it hurts a little bit, it's it's you know a coattail of of that thing that you wish uh, was right next to you, and so it's um yeah it's it's a weird it's a weird you know uh, kind of a I don't know what the juxtaposition I suppose of of a hurts but but you don't want it to stop yeah that, that's that's a great way to put it there, there's a line in um jonathan franzen's book uh, freedom uh i don't know if you've read it but it's it's a phenomenal book it's uh, i think it's the great gatsby of our generation really? wow. yeah it's it's a great book but there's one of the main characters his name is richard katz and he's a musician and uh, a really talented musician but then he like sort of gets this fame and like grammy nominations and all this stuff and realizes like like I love this, but I also hate it. <laughs> and and I, it's to me that's almost what you're talking about. Like I love this, but I but I hate it. I hate this, but I also love it. And and that sting you talked about, like it stings being away. But you, I, the thing about your music that's different is you don't wallow in it. You, you it's not like wallowing in sorrow. Like oh, I need another drink. And, <laughs> and, and uh, uh, although you have lines like that, there's a line about um um you know this this uh. This isn't sober, but it sure isn't straight. Right, right. And 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 so I think you can you can feel the pain. You can feel being in the valley. Ryan and I we just did an episode about emotions. <laughs> well, we tried to do. No, we did the emotions episode. That one, that one's done. <laughs> we did two. We did one, and then the second one. Uh-huh. Yeah, and uh, the second one went great, but we had, the the first one. Ryan just wouldn't stop crying throughout the whole podcast. Know, <laughs> we ran out of tissues, so we had to stop recording. Um, Oh, Ryan goodness. is the the uh, 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 it's the head and the heart the head and the heart of, of <laughs> the it. duo here and um, and and I, I've found that there's both of that in your music like somehow you're able to encompass both like it's not just it's not just like oh my goodness like I, I the, my life is over I mean I see that a lot in songs and they're beautiful songs and I love <laughs> listening to them but at some point it's like okay like I need some hope in this. This is mm. this is raw despair. One of my favorite musicians is Damien Rice. Oh yeah, and I love, I, so I love his music. And and but there is so much despair yeah. on, especially the first two albums. The the, the third one, <laughs> like Adele's album, like the her the one that really set her off. With, yeah, oh, just, just filled with despair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. What, what were you gonna say about Damien Rice's album? Well, I mean, th- there's this. Uh, it, it almost vacillates between despair and anger and then anger for the despair and then you despair because you you can't get rid of the anger and it becomes this vicious sort of crazy eight cycle. Uh, but with your music, I think there's, when I, when I talk about the maturity, like there's a certain letting go. So that same song we were just talking about, uh, Our Way, um, you, you said when the flood comes rising, there's nothing to hold. Mm, yeah. and, 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 and I can imagine that like... Uh, the, the the flood in Houston recently, like literally, we had this this girl who who um, she sent Ryan this private message, and she had water past her ankles, wow. right, almost mm. up to her knees, yeah. and she was holding a copy of our book, Minimalism: Live a Meaningful Life, and she was like, "You have no idea how much this is helping me let go right now," mm. because she's literally standing in her house with and and and. and how do I how do I write an essay about that right it's gonna take me it's gonna take me four thousand words to do it but you can do it in like eight words and and, oh, and so kind of you and, and, well I mean and, and, but I think so literally we can see the flood right but then figuratively I mean obviously this line highlights something that's figurative like when there's a flood are you gonna go back and try to grab every trinket are you going are you gonna try to deal with the unimportant stuff 
Um, and, and I tried to do that a little bit with uh, the book that we wrote, Everything That Remains. In the documentary, there's a whole thing where I'm like, Rome is burning, but there's still time for shopping at Ikea. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and and it wasn't, it wasn't a, 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 people often think that's like me dissing Ikea or something. It's not. <laughs> it was me. I, I was the problem. Ikea wasn't the problem. It's like, I still get some stuff from Ikea occasionally. It's okay. But, but. I had my whole life crumbling around me. My marriage was ending. My, my, my mom just died. I'm trying to work out her funeral arrangements. And, and the best thing I could think of doing is like, let's go shopping for furniture. And, and all of a sudden it's like, well, Rome is burning and, and I'm, I'm stuck here. And, and what you're saying there is, Hey, this flood is rising. Are you going to worry about, are you going to worry about the nonsense? I think we get stuck in the nonsense. Yeah, it's, um, Absolutely. I mean, it, it's something that um, Ben, I remember Ben Folds, I don't know if you guys are, are fans of his, but yeah. he's, uh, um, I was reading some interview a long time ago and he said something that I've I've always resonated with, which is just, he can't, uh, he basically said like, I don't connect with a sad song that sounds like a sad song or a happy song that sounds like, happy. there was like that, that space of dissonance yes. is kind of where he likes to live. And I, I'm very much um, both as a fan of music and, and uh, a creator too. I very much relate to that, and that I think that's just a more accurate reflection mm-hmm. of life. Is there's always some dissonance, uh, and just sort of allowing for for that to be okay. Uh, I think that a lot of us. I had a good conversation with someone last week where we were talking about um, how I think that there's a a perception to that there's going to be like a point at which everything is okay. Um, mm-hmm. You know that that mm-hmm. that we're going to be like if I can only. Uh, achieve this much or get this much or or get past this line that there there's like a, a point where I've sort of solved the Rubik's cube and everything from here on else is just going to be flowers and I think the reality is everybody is always going to have a little bit of dissonance there's always going to be the next thing the mm-hmm. next uh, achievement there's always going to be that that sense but that that's just uh, that's just being human and I don't think we're here to be okay um, totally and and so I, I I really resonate with those points of, of uh, um, kind of like happy, sad songs and sad, happy songs where it's, it's yeah. a little bit of a wink to the other side saying like, you're welcome here too. Like this, this is, you're a part of this, you know, yeah. like, without one, you can't have the other. I love that, man. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's in, we say it all the time. It's impossible to have uh, the peaks without the valleys for yeah. sure, man. And that's, that's a great way of embracing it. No, I totally agree, man. It's uh it is so important to accept that we will never become this full potential of ourselves. Yeah. And uh, it's taken me a long time to accept that. And, and an example of that is this podcast. I feel like we do a really good job with this podcast. I have a lot of fun doing it. If you were to tell me back in 2014, hey, Ryan, you're going to start a podcast, that would have been this uh, in the future, off into the distance, maybe one day thing. It would have been a little bit stressful too, thinking about starting a podcast. Sure. But now we're here, we're doing it. It's great. We're having fun. Now it's like, cool, man, let's move on to the next thing. Let's, let's see if we can, uh, you know, make another documentary. Yeah. And, uh, I think that having, having that approach with life, it, it definitely helps us, uh, I don't know, prevents, prevents a lot of like angst and letdowns, I think. Mm. Because I know, you know, I'm probably not the only one who beats myself up when life doesn't go exactly how I expect it to. What's that? It's just you. It's just me. It's just me. I knew it. I knew it was just me. Well, well, here's the thing. So we've spent the last five minutes talking about this sort of the the, the marriage of of angst and being okay with the angst. But but uh, so my favorite song of yours is a song called Find You. And uh, I just think it's it's like this this 
just beautiful standalone piece of songwriting. It fits great on the album. I'm so glad you made it the second track on the album. It it, it works perfectly there, and just the the, the way you you have the the album arranged. But but there's there's this lyric on on that song where you said, "Just be honest, has it ever been fine?" <laughs> And and like just that one line. There's a couple lines before that where you're talking about staring demons in the eyes and and and, and made a habit of, of looking past all the white lies. And then you, you say, just be honest. Has it ever been fine? And I remember the first time I heard that, I just I just paused it. And I'm like, oh, like, like <laughs> there, there's this there's this moment where, where it's like we're, we're searching. We're trying to like make everything fit just right. Once I have the perfect coffee table, once I have all the appropriate decorations in my space, once I have this, this, and this, once I have the ideal partner and the two and a half kids and the dog and the picket fence, then everything is going to be fine. But once you get it, and literally I got it. I, I had it at one point. I had, I had a literal picket fence. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But it's not going to be fine because of that. It's fine because we can say, okay, this is fine. I can accept this for what it is, warts yeah. and all. Absolutely. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's really a season that, that I'm currently learning a lot in, uh, which I'm so happy to be like here with you guys right now because I just like want to you know, absorb through osmosis you know, the, the, the wisdom <laughs> that you guys have to, to share. But uh, it's, it's really, uh, I mean, I, I, I worked for a long time. Music is, has always been... A, a goal of mine and, and something that I was really at the core of what I love to do, but worked for a long time, a lot of different capacities and trying to basically just spend as much time as I could making music. And then Canyon City came on the heels of a lot of uh, learning about what I didn't want to do within that. And in some cases, some failures too. Well, let's talk then, about that because we're, sure. we're talking about hobbies today and we're going to answer some questions for, for some folks. Oh, sure. But, but you... Uh, you started out music was something that was I assume a hobby for you at first when you were in grade school when did you start playing music started playing around seven or eight um, do you have a musical family or I do yeah and both both my parents were in a folk trio uh, oh, when wow. they were in college yeah that so there awesome. were uh, there was it was always like around and harmonies were around and, and I didn't realize that it was weird to have uh, you know like the family get together and like sing four part harmony until you know, we're in grade school and people are like, oh, no, we don't do that. That's, you know, that's a little strange. <laughs> that's not what our family but, uh, but I was very, very lucky to, to have that and then had a great guitar teacher when I was a little kid, although I was still a kid, so I wasn't, you know, uh, I was bon by no means uh, the guy that was like practicing, you know, 10 hours a day and, and like it was, it was a very gradual. Had I actually practiced the way that people encourage you to practice, I should be a much better guitar player than I am right now. But uh, but it's just been, you know, a long time playing and, and just sort of a, a language that that has always kind of been alongside. Um, but yeah, it was, it was initially... Uh, when did you start writing songs? Started writing songs probably around middle of high school, maybe around 14 or 15 years old. Okay. Um, and Still a hobby at this point. Yeah, is, Did you? When did you know you wanted to do more with music? Was, was it early or, or was it a while yeah, before that? I think it was, well, I started as a guitar player, so like just in, you know, the high school garage bands and stuff like that. I was just the, like the electric guitar player. Um, and then songwriting really happened when, uh, when I felt like I had no other outlet to express some of the things that wanted to come out. Mm. And so initially it was just, you know, so well, I'll just try my hand at it. And then that's, I think, I think I always want played with the idea of music being something that I wanted to do for a long time or maybe as a career. Uh, but once songwriting started to come in, that was really when like the bug bit hard mm -hmm. and uh, it was, it was something I couldn't be without. And so it was uh, at that point, making it a career was, was really just uh, 
was just finding a way to spend as much time doing that as possible. Um, and, and it's the, the irony is in chasing it. Uh, I spent a lot, I'm 28 now moved to Nashville when I was 18. Yeah. And, uh, and you've, sp- you've been there since you, since you were 18, right? Yep. That's right. Yep. Yeah. So, so you moved down there to go to school or at least under mm-hmm. the guise. So that was the Trojan horse to, yeah. to get you down to exactly. Nashville. Yeah. Uh, but you started doing some music that was, uh, outside of what your, um, uh, what you wanted to do. Yeah. And, and what it was, uh, if if I may, sure. You just you just were talking about how you were chasing it. Sure. So if you can incorporate, continue with chasing it, and and I think that might, um, you can tie that in with answering his question as well. Sure. Yeah. Well, it was uh, so I was I was really um trying to turn it into. I mean, like just trying to like chase it as like a career choice. Well, I, I, yeah, I, I think that I think that you were getting ready to go somewhere, but chasing it. Yeah. And uh, Josh's question about how you kind of took this different approach with music oh, sure. was because of that chase that you put yourself in. Am I off base with that? Sure, sure. No, it was it was definitely uh, yeah, it was it was a kind of a pathway that I was I was set on and, and trying to make, just spend as much time as I could with it. But the irony is that in doing that, I. I tried to do anything I could that would get me closer to music and, and essentially open up more time to do that. So when I was in Nashville and I was early twenties, uh, I was you know working a part time job to make ends meet and uh, it, and really just wanted to to you know make music whenever yeah. I could. And so I I was doing some session work. I was uh, writing for some other people, and then there was a producer that uh, on an earlier project that was that was pre Canyon City or any of that stuff. Uh, gave me an opportunity to come in and do some of my own songs, which was really fun. And that was kind of the first re-entry into being an artist again. So, mm-hmm. well, you can sing them, and you always have. Uh, even though I was coming in as a session guitar player, I was always like songwriting was always what I was doing, anyways. Um, but I did you did you write songs for other people? I did nothing. Nothing that's like blew up or anything like that. Okay. I mean, the the biggest thing that I think uh, I wrote that. Well, actually, I ended up ended up singing on it which was just on like some movie trailers and stuff but like it was nothing that was you know impressive by any yeah. means uh, commercially well, you know, I guess uh, isn't that fascinating yeah. because you you have someone who's obviously a, a talented musician guitar player uh, incredible voice but also I mean you're, you're, to me your talent is in the writing and and nice. and uh, it's what other people want though so quite often they no we just need a, a session guitar player yeah. we need you know so uh, we need a body to fill the seat, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. Was was there ever a point um, where you were writing your music not for you? Yeah, absolutely, and 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 that was uh, that was where where it really became clear to me uh, what I didn't want to do because I I knew that I wanted to do music as much as I could, uh, but when when that first project started to fall apart, just personnel wise. I was talking with a friend of mine who uh, runs a small label in, in Nashville. It mainly does sync work, which is basically like music for TV and film and that kind of stuff. Mm. And uh, and I knew that you know my my heart had always been and always was going to be in doing stuff uh, that pr- pretty much Canyon City, which is very uh, it's just expressive. It's honest. It's where I'm at. It's not necessarily to for any particular uh, purpose outside of well, this is what I feel or this is what I want to say. Um, but that particular project, I knew was going to be angled towards making music for commercial purposes sometimes literally for commercials like where you did like some pitches for like coke right. and you know that kind of yeah. stuff um and uh and so i, I knew that that was going to be a means to end but the goal was to get out of the part-time job right. to be able to make music a full-time job i did a two record deal with them and after the first record uh i i felt so it, it hurt so much to to like uh, basically what ended up happening was to make the thing that i love my job i turned the i turned 
the thing that I love into just another job. Mm. It, it became another job that I didn't want to go to, but it was worse because I also lost the thing that I love. Like I lost the reason I was fighting. Yeah. And it's not um, hard to do that. Like yeah. it is, it is a, because we do look at uh, a job being a means to an end. And there are certain things I know I do it where I start to compromise. I'm like, you know what? Uh, I really need to get eight hours of sleep tonight. Yeah. Um, but we just ended this event. I just got back to the hotel at midnight. I got a flight at 6 a.m. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get four hours of sleep. And there are things that I will um, uh, sacrifice a little bit. And and I think you, for me, I don't know how you feel about this, Josh, but it is this balance of Absolutely. what am I willing to sacrifice? How much am I willing to sacrifice? And uh, when it comes to putting food on the table and keeping a roof over your head. Um, there's a lot of things I do <laughs> yeah. to, to, to do that. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and yeah, it's, it's very, especially with a hobby, it's very easy to start to kind of go against uh, what, what we know we want to do yeah. in order to like try and make some money Absolutely. off of it. And, and, you know, there's a question in here about, um, about making money off your hobby mm. and, and that it's, it's certainly, um, it's certainly okay to make money off of a hobby, but to make that the main purpose there's it could be yeah Yeah. it could distort it a little bit that's what i realized is in order for ironically in order for this to be my job which was the 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 thing that turned it into what i've been fortunate to do full-time now for a few years was canyon city but in order Mm. for that to happen it had to become my hobby again Uh, i had to redefine so like i I told the guys like we have to renegotiate the contract i can't give you a second record it's it'll it'll kill me um and so you man oh but it was it was uh because here's the other thing you have people who were like Man, I'd kill just to have that. But yeah, the problem is once you get there, you realize how unfulfilling it is. When you lose the thing that you love about it, the the heart gets ripped out of it. This is so good for our questions. Yeah, I think we should dive into our voicemail questions. Yeah, because otherwise, this is going to be another hour and a half (laughs) intro, (laughs) and then we're going to get tweets where people are like, "Can you please not make your episodes three hours long?" And then we'll have to explain to them that they can just pause the episode. No, no, I'm not going to explain it. I will just block those people. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Josh's block party. Right. It's, all right. Are you ready awesome. to dive in, Millie? Yeah, let's answer some questions. We'll keep talking about hobbies. We'll talk about love and passion and, and everything you were just talking about. We'll try to apply it to some of these questions. Our first question is from Adam in Nashville. The big thing that I spend a lot of my time doing is sports. And I was wondering what your guys' philosophy is on like you know, materials that are required for sports. Like, I'm big into rock climbing, and rock climbing requires a lot of materials. So, like, what what do you guys have to say about decluttering when it comes to sports? Because if, if I want to rock climb, I still have to have all these materials. So do these add value to my life? And if not, how do I get rid of this? Ryan, the thing I wrote down when I first listened to Adam's question was, Free climbing equals death. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, the, the, the people do that that free soloing thing, oh, right? Yeah. Where they just like get out there with no equipment whatsoever, and it is so impressive. You can find the videos on YouTube, or or you find the video like people get really popular on Instagram because we are a voyeuristic culture, and we're waiting to see like what ha- <laughs> one hand slips, and all of a sudden y- you die, and. Um, it's different. I mean, you might break a guitar string. Oh, it's pretty low stakes what I do. It's, <laughs> I, might, I might just get my feelings hurt if I, you know, go too deep into a love song. That's about it. <laughs> That's right. right. <laughs> um, yeah, and and I, I think uh, 
if we have a hobby that we really enjoy, th there's going to be some necessary equipment quite often. Now, here's the thing. There's a difference between necessary and... Uh, Unnecessary. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> essential and non-essential. I think what I was going to say is necessary and fetish. Uh, <laughs> like, like uh, you, you're you live in Nashville, which is you know, the the music city, right? And and there are a lot of people who collect a lot of musical instruments and oh, other yeah. things. They get no value from whatsoever. But, Absolutely, and yeah. it's because it's a thing that they're supposed to do. And believe me, I get it. I've I had plenty of collections. We just did an episode about collections yeah. recently, right? And we made fun of like the signed Al Pacino scripts that I had it's from my early <laughs> 20s. It's an easy thing to do. So, uh, Paul, what is your recipe for like not having this hoard of musical equipment? Because okay. I'm sure, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm sure you play other in instruments besides the guitar. I do. Not not always well, but I, I try. <laughs> so so how do, how do you curate your collection? Because uh, I, I'm sure that you're not a, I know you're not a hoarder. <laughs> <laughs> I try not to be. Yeah, it's, I mean, there's definitely the temptation to, uh, especially when you can justify it as a, you know, a business expense, so to speak, you know, yeah. you'd be like, well, I need this for my job, you know, and it's, it's shiny and, and it would give me a sort of a sting of happiness for a second. Um, but, uh, what I find is, uh, and initially this was out of necessity when I couldn't really afford that much, but that limitation actually is a pathway to, to a certain kind of creativity for me. Yeah. Uh, and so what all like in my home rig with my, my studio, I'll actually intentionally buy gear that has like one knob or uh mm. you know that has has uh, just a few things and i'll try to cap what i uh what, what a I minimalist <laughs> <laughs> I know, that's that's i mean it's one of the reasons why I, no I'm, that's great man I'm, i mean that's josh and i are huge on yeah. that with with uh uh limitations breed creativity am, yeah, I, fact, am, I, I, wrote, am I saying your line right josh i wrote it down i wrote it down as constraints <laughs> breed creativity but it's, it's 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 the same thing by by having some sort of limitation there you find your, it makes your mind work in a way than if you had absolute abundance. I, mm -hmm. To me, they're, they're <laughs> wait, wait, no, hold on. I just want to be clear though. We're not, we're not challenging the free climber to go with. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't, I don't want harness. him to free climb. That's the thing. I don't want him to free, free climb. Oh, I see. We're trying to talk about a free climbing. Yeah, what, in general. what, what are the okay, stakes? Okay. Is, is is my question. But uh, yeah, I absolutely. I think if you want to try free climbing, uh, do so at your own risk. <laughs> the, the 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 inside joke among free climbers isn't. Am I going to die at free climbing? It's when am I going to die yeah, at right. free climbing? They they know what's up. Like a, a very large percentage. It's it's the most dangerous hobby or job in the world, probably. Mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. You see these guys hanging off mountains with one hand yeah. and their massive forearm right there, and then all of a sudden, the one rock finger breaks. slip. Yeah, or the rock breaks. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and you have no control over that, right? Yeah. And so I think some equipment is is necessary, especially in, in a sport like rock climbing. Um, However, when we look at something like music, I look at the abundance, uh, the abundance mindset of mm. if I just had everything, then everything would be perfect. Yeah. I, I often think of Dr. Dre, who, I mean, his <laughs> you just often think of Dr. Dre in general. <laughs> I well, I mean, he is the good doctor. There you go. Uh, and but. Dude. <laughs> I'm gonna start calling myself a doctor. No, I, I, I never mind. I'm not I thought we already agreed that you were the venerable Ryan Nicodemus. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> sounds, you're one step away from sainthood. That's right. Um, anyway, I, I I noticed that like early on, you know, he's he's considered to be you know if not the best hip hop producer of all time, certainly in the top five, oh, yeah. and and had some certain constraints early on, right? He had a few turntables and a little bit of equipment that was borrowed here and there, and created some of the the most 
uh, memorable, uh, most significant music of the late 80s and early 90s. And now that he has literally everything he could ever want, he has the perfect studio. I don't know if you saw The Defiant Ones, this Mm -hmm. documentary that was about him and Jimmy Iovine and the music business. And he's building now his house over in Brentwood, like the perfect studios. I just couldn't find a studio that had every... Dre has released one album in the last, what, 15 years? Well, yeah, himself. Right, and he does very little with other artists, too, and I think that's uh, th- that's the difference. Um, and I think sometimes what happens, and he has become this over-the-top perfectionist. Right, yeah, yeah. And that's what, whatever, he, he scrapped that whole album, the Detox album, because... He couldn't get it perfect, right? He worked mm. on it for eight or nine years, and it, like it wasn't perfect. And by the yeah. time, it, by then, it was dated. And don't get me wrong, I think Dre is one of the most talented. That is so crazy. Music minds, right? Yeah, but it's, then, it's just nuts to me how the limitations bred this awesome creativity. Mm-hmm. You know, late eighties, early nineties, and now it's because he had no expectations. His standards were his standards were high, right? But he, but he had no expectations where now his standards are high and his expectations sounds like they're like higher. They're impossible. Yeah. So now his standards, he can't get to that level of standard to meet the, ex- well, at least with that album. Well, and I actually struggle with that too. So Ryan and I finished the first draft of Everything That Remains, our, our uh, third book. Uh, no, it was our second book, sorry, two, uh, five years ago, right? And I, I can tell you that like it was... People ask, how long did it take you to write that book? And I'm like, it took 32 years, right? And, and I think the first album is sort of that way, right? Or, or, or for you, I don't know, maybe it was the second album. I, I, don't, I don't know how it works, but you're as good as what your last creation was. And, and sometimes, for me, the last, I've had four false starts on a next book. And it's because I felt so good about that book. And it was this infinitely dense thing. Like, I felt like I said everything I wanted to say in everything that remains. And the next book would just regurgitate the things. Like, yeah. do I say it differently? Do I, <laughs> I, I, I and, and so I, I run into this problem. I don't know if you run into that problem oh, yeah. with, with some of your music and, and you're trying to grow beyond it, but you're like, to me, I see someone who makes an album like Constellation and I'm like, well, I, I would just check out at this point. Like I'm done. <laughs> oh, like man. I've created that album and, <laughs> and, and congratulations everyone. You get to listen to Dude, it. Dude, there's, <laughs> there are way too many singer songwriters who do that. And it makes me so angry. Well, Damien Rice was that way, right? <laughs> yeah. He, he, he had, Eight years between like, albums, dude. Yeah. I'm trying to think like uh, who. Um, there are some artists that we like, like these one EPs or these albums that we absolutely love. But it's like the only thing that the artist has done. I yeah. totally get it. Walk out on a high note, but for <laughs> us consumers of music, we want more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, there are a few uh, short story writers who are novelists who are that way too, where yeah. they get that one work out there and, and it's done. Yeah, I'm just like, yeah, I've got it. I, I think there's definitely a, a rhythm to it too, because I mean, as with anything with life, there's like the the exhale and the inhale. And mm. uh, I talked to a few few friends of mine that also produce music and they sometimes have that feeling of like when it's out and then you know maybe they uh, have personal goals or, or company goals or whatever it may be to like just go ahead and just jump into the next thing there's almost that moment of needing to take another inhale first you know before you before you get ready to exhale again the work being the exhale yeah uh, however i also think you can go too far and and uh hold your breath you know (laughs) yeah and so i what i try to do is give myself um you know a year or two to to in between albums but but not more than two uh constellation midnight wave just had a year between them Mm -hmm. um and uh it's like a time to live your life to a exactly yeah and because i i have run into that before i felt like i clipped it too soon uh Mm -hmm. and and that i uh i was maybe writing stories in lieu of living them and uh 
And so now I, I try to make sure that I give myself enough time to inhale, but also make sure that, you know, I, I exhale again, just keep that rhythm going. So it's easy to, at least for me, it's easy to, to, to clip it too soon or to let it go too long on either end. And uh, it seems like it's an ever shifting equation of, uh, or not even equation, but just, you know, rhythm of, of creativity, I guess. Mm, that's a beautiful line. This is so, so Sean, that's a minimal maxim for you there for the show <laughs> notes. So we, we do these things called minimal maxims where like we, we like, we we maunder on for a really long time and then sum it up <laughs> with something pithy uh, during our lightning round. But uh, don't well, you said don't write stories in lieu of living them. Yeah, and I've and, definitely done that. Yeah, well, yeah, and I think uh, so. That book I was talking about earlier, Jonathan Franzen wrote a book called Freedom, and it was right after his really crazy popular book called The Corrections came out in two thousand one, and it took him nine years to put out the next book. And it was really eight years of living, one year of writing. And he's like, I realized I needed to go live for my life for a while before I could create this yeah. book that I knew mm. I wanted to create. And it's a very intentional, and I think it's a tough thing in America too, in that the the uh, emphasis on work ethic is sometimes very um, binary, and that it's it's you know it's uh, to some degree it is just just showing up and and doing the work, but. Sometimes part of my my work day is uh, trying to get inspired by going on a hike or going to a museum or something, and just trying to ingest, like trying to inhale, mm-hmm. uh, or or just simply making margin for relationships or, or things like that. And I sometimes have to remind myself, um, you know, if I, if I don't do that, then like this is actually part of the work, right? Uh, and 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 redefining what work is, and and uh, I, if if I do that correctly, I can keep at a, at an okay pace, but yeah, finding that balance is always a, an ever challenging thing. Have you read uh, daily rituals by Mason Curry? I haven't. It's, it's a great book, but it's, I think 160 chapters and it's about the daily rituals of different creative people. Everyone oh, cool. from David Foster oh, Wallace. I've heard about that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's a phenomenal book. I mean, it goes back to, to, um, uh, like Thomas Jefferson and yeah. Benjamin Franklin and Mozart and Beethoven, and there are a few. There are a few uh, commonalities between a lot of them, and, and one I noticed was walking, mm-hmm. and, and and where they they create something usually early in the morning, whatever early for them is. For some people, like for me, it's three thirty in the morning. Wow. For other people, it's nine a.m. Like yeah. whenever they 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 get up and and they do it, and. But then they like there's a period like a break where they just go for a walk and like sort of it, it's a I don't know about you uh, and I imagine it, part of it is auditory for you but I I, I write auditorily and so mm-hmm. it, there's an out loudish sort of feel to a lot of the the words uh, sort of tumbling long sentences I always get in trouble like WordPress is like this thing it, it, <laughs> it's like there are too many words in your sentences it Clippy, is not the, the, it, the clip art guy or the what was that guy from uh, Microsoft yeah, yeah. yeah what was it Clippy or something yeah <laughs> Comes up, like, I, are you trying to write a question or? <laughs> <Can> I <help? laughs> and, and but I mean the, the difference is like you can actually track my sentences grammatically and syntactically so they yeah. work but they'll be 40 words 70 word sentences sometimes and and it's just because that's how we, we, we express ourselves when we talk. It's, it's, it's auditory. Yeah. But what I noticed in, in Mason Curry's book, Daily Rituals, um, Sean, if you could put a link to that in the show notes, it's, uh, it's one of my favorite books because I realized there were these patterns. There was stimulants like coffee, like this coffee <laughs> I'm drinking here. Um, but uh, the, the other one was walking and then the early morning thing, having some sort of morning routine. It could be different for each people or each person. But, but, 
what I've realized is that that is part of the process is For walking sure. away from it can be the process. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you're right. There is this American work ethic. Mm. It's it's show up for 17 hours a day. Yeah. Hustle, hustle, hustle. And there's a congratulations for that, too. Like yeah. something like a pride of like, oh, man, like I'm working, you know, 80 hour weeks. And there's almost like a self-congratulatory. I work more than you. you. Know? Yeah. yeah. Well, there was there was some company. I, what? Oh, I was just gonna say it's funny I think about working those 60, 70, 80 hour work weeks uh-huh. and I look at that and I used to pride myself on it and now mm. I just look back and I'm like wow Ryan you really didn't know how to manage your time <laughs> did you? <laughs> yeah. Well there was an I think it was an investment bank it was some sort of bank and I certainly won't mention their name I don't want to get sued but um, <laughs> I think it was an investment bank where, where a guy died he was working 72 hours straight wow. There is a name for it in Japan you oh, work yourself no. to death I, I forget what the name is but there is there is a name for it you work yourself to death and it's it is there's a word, and that's exactly what it means. That guy worked himself so hard he died at a young age. Wow, it's crazy, man. It's there's really a, unfortunate. Yeah, and and uh, the opposite of that, there's another another Japanese word, a key guy. Are you familiar with this term? Key guy. Yeah, it, it means the th- basically the the rough translation is the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning. Nice, I think that. And, uh, and and that's the opposite, right? Because you do. You do want to really put in the effort, but but studies show that if you spend more than five hours working on something, mm-hmm. at the time after the five hours diminish returns like significantly. In fact, can, yeah, it can negatively affect the creativity. And, you know, and to your point about taking the small breaks, there's actually studies that show like if you're studying, if you're writing, if you're working, taking a 15 minute break like to meditate to just sit there and let your mind wander mm-hmm. actually will help you be more efficient, help you stay more focused as the day mm-hmm. moves on. Because you're not constantly staying laser focused on that thing right. to where your attention eventually you're like yeah your attention gets exhausted and you can't stay focused on it anymore it's it gets more all over the place it's like saying the same word over and over and over if i say coffee table coffee table coffee table if i keep saying it enough it it loses its total meaning right because i'm so laser focused on it it just sort of dissipates into the ether right i think the the other side of 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 uh the dr dre side of thing where he's like he's got the perfect multi-trillion dollar studio and in every i mean it looks beautiful when you see him behind that board you're like that's what you need to make music yeah, you like need i can take it to space yeah yeah why <laughs> <laughs> he just takes off in the studio <laughs> we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna produce this one while we're orbiting earth <laughs> elon musk gives him a giant tesla oh and, and he just has a studio and the other side is uh did you see the movie once with glenn hansard i did yeah, yeah. so yeah. so uh, his guitar has sort of become iconic because, that hole in it. Yeah, he, yeah. Have you seen Glenn Hansard's guitar? We saw him live, dude. Oh yeah, we did. He still plays it live Man. too. Yeah. So we saw him in Cincinnati, right? Yeah. Downtown Cincinnati, um, and he came out. I mean, he's so good, but he came out off of the stage. I know this is a trope a lot of musicians do, and but he did it so beautifully. Like, it was a big theater, two thousand people, and he came into the middle and like he had the whole audience follow him out into the lobby wow and he was singing playing on that guitar with the holes in it because you can tell he was busking with that guitar for so long that it has this gigantic hole in it that has actually in a weird way made his sound unique because it obviously changes the sound of the guitar right working with limitations yeah makes you uh do things that that wouldn't otherwise happen because you have to kind of like bend the lines and and uh, create new sounds it's yeah. interesting and i think of other great guitar players i think of uh, uh johnny lang who's also from yeah fargo. he's a fargo guy um and, or i think of john mayer right yeah apparently you have to be named john to be good at guitar <laughs> i don't know what's going on but uh thanks mom <laughs> 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 um, but here's the thing with, with john mayer and johnny lang th- they're both <laughs> extremely 
talented guitar players. I, I don't think of their guitar though. I'm sure like if I was a if if I was a guitar what's the audiophile version of a guitar enthusiast? I guess <laughs> uh, we'll go with that. Yeah, if I'm a guitar enthusiast, like I'm sure I would know what guitars John Mayer plays, whatever. But I don't notice it the same way I do with Glenn Hansen, where I'm like, oh, like. There's a whole story. The same way I can look at one of your lines from Constellation, I can I can look at his guitar, and there's a world in that. Mm. It's like uh, Hemingway, uh, podcast Sean's favorite writer. He, the 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 what is it? The six word short story. Um, little ba- shoes or for sale. Little shoes never worn. Yeah, yeah. for baby yeah. shoes. Wow. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> and, and and just those six words. It. It, there's a whole world in that, and I look at I look at Glenn Hansard's guitar, and it actually tells me a lot more about him than if I look at that really impressive Dr. Dre, uh, 128 channel mixing board that costs half a million dollars. Like it looks really cool and impressive, mm. but that guitar is equally impressive to yeah. me, not because of the instrument, not because of the artifact, but because of the story it tells. What would the, it, it, it's impressive to me because. You can tell that he put in the work. There's evidence of the work, yeah. and it's not just the music. It's it's within the the, it's, the artifact. It makes me think about. Um, I was uh, in Vegas, and I saw two shows. I saw Beatles Love, like uh, Cirque du Soleil. Oh, cool! And then I saw um, Penn and Teller. And Mariah was like, "Which one did you like the most?" And I'm like, "I love is the one I like the most, but it was for the wrong reasons. It was because <laughs> it's because if you put like I love Beatles music, uh, I, I really love circus acts." Um, love to watch some good dancing. So like you insert all of this stimuli into a show and it's just amazingly choreographed. It's it's such a it's impossible for it not to be in my opinion it's impossible for it not to be a better show because there's so much stimulus that they that they shove into it. Yeah. Where with Penn and Teller it was it was it was great because for a different reason it was great because it was simple. They would do these tricks that, you know, were seemingly simple, but then they, you know, do these amazing things. Um, but there was also this aspect of, uh, uh, like, they sell this little metal bill of rights and uh, they have this whole trick where they go through the metal detector and it goes off and he's like, oh, yeah, here, um, I have this, uh, uh, sorry, it's my bill of rights that are in my pocket. And then, like, you know, he hands them to the TSA agent, here, take my bill, take, take my rights. Um, it's, 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 it's very clever. It's very well done. That is great. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's amazing that you can take, Sean, you know, do you not have that? That seems like something you would do. He hasn't got it yet. I almost, <laughs> I almost bought him one. <laughs> we, we totally but then I should. thought about my just in case rule. So I, uh, yeah. so I didn't end up getting it, but he needs it. I feel like it's, this is essential for yeah, Sean. Yeah. He does. Yeah. So, so he can pontificate in front of the TSA. <laughs> I guess, I guess really it's, it's interesting how you can take, you can take a multi-million dollar production or you can take a very simple production. Yes. And uh, either can be amazing. I mean, you can look at Avatar and you can look at Blair Witch. Both of them yeah. uh, did amazing in the box office. Mm-hmm. Both of them were, were smash hit movies. Um, yeah, I, I think that really speaks to, uh, you know, to, to um, what is his name? Adam. Adam in Nashville. <clears throat> yeah, I think that speaks to, to Adam's, Adam's question about um, how can he keep less stuff uh, is is really realize that it's not the stuff 
that's going to make him a good climber. Yes. It's it's him that's going to make him a good climber. Yeah, and some of those things can augment the experience. Like, Paul, you'd be way worse off if you didn't own a guitar. Sure, sure. Right? Yeah. I mean, you could borrow one or whatever. Like, I did this experiment for, for a, a year uh, where I didn't... Uh, I thought it'd be the easiest thing because we're the minimalists, right? So it's like, <laughs> I'm not going to buy anything for a year sure. uh, other than food and like hygiene products. Like yeah. I need soap, um, <laughs> but uh, uh, no new material items. And it was going pretty well. It was difficult at first, but then my, I spilled tea all over my laptop oh, no. and, and like I write for a living yeah. And and so like I'm like well nope I'm gonna he's like no no worries I'll just borrow Ryan's Dell laptop computer <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> desktop yeah. or I'd go to the library and he literally like, would come over to my house and like use my computer I'd have to, I'd have yellow, yellow legal pads like just filled up with yeah, essays that I had written awesome. and I'd, I'd come over I'm like hey can I start writing this out on your computer because the library kicked uh, me out they only gave me two hours on the computer. <laughs> And, and eventually I realized, you know what, this is actually, this is the wrong kind of deprivation. I believe it's good to temporarily deprive ourselves to, to breed that creativity. But if I were to take away all your instruments and, and your ability to record, that's not going to help you. It's going to hurt you. You're going to, well, you end up being a, you'll seem like a crazy person. Just be out here (laughs) on Hollywood Boulevard, like singing to people. Um, and, and so it's going to be less productive, but buying 50 guitars for you, although each of them might be really cool. You're like, oh, that's a 57 Gibson. And you're oh, like, man, oh no. man, it's beautiful. <laughs> I agree. It's beautiful. But, but at some point it actually gets in the way of creating yeah, the thing you want, you set out to many, create too many choices. And that's, yes. uh, especially with digital recording now, which I mean, I, I, I use and I'm a fan of, uh, but it's, there can be an infinity of, you, know, you can always tinker and it can be so hard to yeah, finish. Yeah. And, uh, what I, what I've learned and cause I do a lot of, uh, a lot of production with, with Canyon city. A lot of that stuff is just me alone in a room, you know, messing with things. And what I've learned is to let go at like 90 to 95% that mm. there's kind of like a point where like what you want is, is, you know, like here's the, you're the like, top this line. isn't an a plus, but it is, it is an a, yeah. it is a well, very like, strong a exactly. And that's <laughs> that kind of where it has to be. Cause there's like, there's like the line of a hundred percent and you, you work and you work and it kind of goes up exponentially and you get to maybe like 89, 90%. Mm. And then there's a point where maybe this is just the time and solitude that I spend doing it, but there's, a point where then it starts to go down to 89 yeah. then 87 and so it's, it's like kind of stopping at 90 yeah. and saying like i in my head i know there's a better version yeah. but uh you but gotta like, know when to stop but there's a next yeah there's there's the next thing to say after this album and so i'm gonna have to let this be a 90 and and yeah and go to the, the next thing to that point man when i think about our documentary i was telling josh after we taped that special i i never have walked away there are very few times i've walked away from an event and felt like Man, that was, I could not have done any better. Yeah. There's, I mean, literally I can think of maybe twice I walked away and I went home and I was like, man, Ryan, there's nothing else that you or Josh could have done to make that event better. And, uh, every 98% of everything else, I have the feeling of, of this wanting of, of wanting to do better. But in the same token, to your point, I think that that's what helps Josh and I to improve. It sure. is, it is walking away and saying, oh shit, man, we really should have done X, Y, and Z. And then the next time, like we make sure to do X, Y, and yeah. Z. And it's all part of the, the growth. And then your, your, what, what is a hundred percent starts to elevate and you know, what, what you considered ninety percent last year is is actually like one hundred and ten, you know. Oh yeah, like, like if we were to grade ourselves on minimalism, live a meaningful life. <laughs> yeah, in fact, we had to rewrite the book in twenty fifteen really? just to like get it back up to standard. So that was our first book, came out in twenty eleven, and it was like by twenty fifteen, it was like okay, like this was still good, and the principles are really sound in this. 
but it needs it needs to be reworked. And so we we had Sean on board. Sean is the best editor that we know. He's amazing with that. And so having this this clean pair of eyes to help bring it back up to what our current standard was. But at some point, you, even then, you have to walk away from it and say that's the best I could do given the resources I had at the moment. Mm. But realizing it's going to change over time. Well, and so I think if Adam wants to become a better climber, then it's to focus on the climbing. And then the question is, what tools are necessary for you to create or to climb or what materials do you need to do that to the best of your ability and maybe that means taking away some of the materials temporarily now i hesitate adam's the only person i hesitate to not say that to because i don't (laughs) want you to die adam um so be safe no matter what uh you can get hurt even with all of the the best tools in the world you can still hurt yourself and so be careful but but i think sometimes taking that away uh, when I lost my computer here or when I lost uh, access to using the internet, I didn't use internet at home for five years, I think. Um, I, I had a certain kind of, of new creative spark in my life that wasn't there previously. Mm. And, and I think that sometimes removing the excess, the superfluous, and we don't know what's superfluous because we, we, we tell ourselves all the stories. We can ju- The word you used earlier was justify. Mm. I can justify bringing anything into my sure. life. You know, if you give me uh, a, a day to write about, uh, write about it, I could do anything to justify any purchase imaginable, mm-hmm. right? Um, but the yeah, truth- it's funny because I would just say people all the time write in like, well, what about this situation? What about that situation? And I just want to say, if anyone needs... Uh, justification yes you can find any justification for anything yeah absolutely man i mean you you when 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 i look at the things that i bring into my life quite often i i've i've given myself permission and really the only justification you don't need to justify these purchases to anyone else and i think that's quite often what people are saying is like mm-hmm. how do i justify this to my my partner my spouse my my mother my whoever yeah no, no, no. You just need to you need to be able to justify it to yourself. Absolutely. And that's the hardest part if you're able to be honest with yourself because you, you might be able to give out this advice like, oh, yeah, yeah, I shouldn't know too much, whatever. But taking your own advice, that's the hardest pill to swallow, right? And so the last thing I'll say for Adam here is here's the thing. You're asking this question about excess equipment. And if you are asking the question, then yeah, you might have too much, but it's up to you to determine what is enough because your version of enough is going to look different from my version of enough. Enough climbing equipment for me is zero. I don't do any climbing. I'll do some bouldering occasionally and I'll show up to a little place and you know they have whatever equipment I need to rent there, but I don't need to own any of that equipment myself. So it's going to be different for everyone. So what is your version of enough? And once you determine what that version is, realize it changes over time. What is enough today may be too much tomorrow or might be too little tomorrow. Yeah. And so you have to be willing to let go of, of what you find value in today as the as the time progresses. Yeah. What's that line from one of your songs? You said, uh, um, man, I'm, I'm thinking off the top of my head here. Uh, we're living today off of tomorrow's broke clocks. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's so good. I don't I don't even know exactly yeah, what you, today we're living off of tomorrow's broke clock. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's it's part of a like a it's a chorus that changes throughout the yeah, song. I don't, even, right? I don't even want to know what he meant by that. I just want to, <laughs> I want to make my own interpretation. Exactly, that is and, good and, man. And yeah, I'm I'm not trying to get your interpretation. In fact, I, I just want to leave it out there. But we are living today off of tomorrow's broke clocks, and mm. and and the way the way that I interpreted that when I first heard that, again, it's one of those pause moments where I'm like, oh, yeah, I I don't know what that means exactly. But but then I, I was thinking about it. I'm like, it's it's about 
living in the moment. And, and, and for me, it's like, what is right right now? Um, and then obviously tomorrow is, is going to change. Right. And, um, you're welcome to dive in if you want and say, Josh, you're full of crap or, or whatever. No, no, that's, that's a, a beautiful, uh, translation. And that's really, I mean, it was, it was just the, the fleeting moment and, uh, yes. um, and, and, but, but like recognizing that that scarcity also makes it special too. And, and, uh, uh, kind of adds value to it because it's a it's, real scarcity. It's yeah. not a ma- the problem is we manufacture scarcity in our culture. We see five thousand advertisements a day, and they're all trying to uh, act now. So supplies are limited. You know, limited time <laughs> yeah. only. So uh, we're we're recording the is no we're recording an episode on President's Day, um, and it's like. President's Day. We've even commodified President's Day. What are you going to get me for President's Day, Josh? Obviously a mattress because they're on <laughs> sale. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. You see President's yeah. Day sales. Act act now. Um, or you'll see like President's Day week sale. And you're like, wait a minute. That is a week is- sale. You're right. Yeah, I, I worked in a, before before uh, Canyon City, before it was my full-time gig, I, I worked in a retail store. And sometimes that was a tactic that they would have. Like, they would they would take a few things off of the shelf and put them in the, the back thing so that it looked like they're about to run out even if they had you know like 20 of them oh, in the back yeah. room just to create that sense of urgency of like it's you know, a false kind of, scarcity and yeah. what you're talking about is a different kind of scarcity where where uh, we're all gonna die right yeah and it's very true scarcity <laughs> <laughs> um you have a new song out it's called it's called shadows yep that's right and uh it's a single and um I tend to hate singles. <laughs> um, I'm an album guy, man, and I'm I feel, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm part of a dying it. breed, right? Yeah, and it's, it's a good breed, though. And, it's a good one. And uh, I get it's a it's that's a manufactured thing too, because a hundred years ago, albums weren't really a thing. It was, you know, it was well, even a hundred years ago, there was very little, you know, recorded music. But dude, I hate, dude, I hated when like you hear a song on the radio, you go buy the CD, and like that's the only good song on the whole <laughs> CD. Yeah, and you you'd yeah. spend. What, <sighs> CDs used to be seventeen ninety nine. We, we'd yeah. go over to the CD connection. I remember in, town. Th- in the eighth grade. I remember thinking, man, if I could just somehow start a business where, and I was thinking this with cassette tapes, where people come in, they could choose any song they want, and then they could make their own mixed cassette tape. <laughs> <laughs> now Paul's looking at us like, guys, what is a cassette? I tape? know, right? Oh, no. Fast forward to nineteen ninety eight. I think and I think Napster Mark- hit the scene. <laughs> They totally ripped my idea off, Josh. They did. They did. (laughs) So they should have sued you, not Napster. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) They they Winklevossed you. Oh, man. (laughs) Because that's are coming back, though. They are, yeah. Yeah, It's it's funny. Like, it's vinyls having, like, some of their their biggest years in a while. Yeah. Just because it's a... Yeah. It's it's a funny thing because, I mean, initially... um, I mean, obviously, albums were just, you know... product of the medium and uh and now i think it's more of a creative choice like it's everything lives in playlists and 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 sort of uh uh and just kind of like momentary things but i still think it's important at least for for uh as an artist to create with an album mindset in a lot of time because it creates it allows for there to be um i don't know allows for every um song to not have to be to totally capitulate everything that you want to say you can sort of have a longer dialogue throughout the thing and, and then i do that with the understanding that um you know it's probably not going to be digested in that form it may by, not in by most uh most people but i think one of the the silver linings uh is in the streaming world is that it does force 
people to make good songs throughout the whole. Because I think that for a while, when like you had to buy the CD to get the single you liked, yeah. there was almost like a laziness in the music industry of like, oh, like we can do like seven fillers and three singles, and totally. uh, you know, and it, it was where now it's like if, if it's not a good song, people just won't listen, and you know they don't have to because it's it's all just kind of. In there, so I think there's there's it's an interesting uh, yin and yang to the the new scenario. Well, I, th- I th- also think that the opposite was also true. Like someone like you would go and create seven songs that you really loved, and or eight songs, and then the record company would force you to make two songs that you hated so that right. they could sell the album better. Yeah. And then what would happen is people who love the the single that you don't love, they would do what Ryan did, and he'd show up and he'd like listen to it, and he'd like I like that song, but. Now I've got these eight other songs yeah. that don't resonate with me. And I think that's the nice thing about uh, about the world that we're in now. I love the fact that we can stream music, right? I mean, I have an infinite library in my pocket right now. Um, I used to have like a 2000 CD collection all. Yeah, I mean, I've got- book and all that stuff. No, mine was alphabetized on the oh, wall. Okay. Nice. Yeah. And Dude, when we would go buy albums, you would get yeah. the cassette- Nice. And the but, CD. That's right, because <laughs> my mom's car had a tape player, right? Yeah. And and so, um, yeah, I, I didn't have a really good way to yeah, they put didn't, it on yeah, cassette. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, man. And, and now it's like right there on my phone, and it's beautiful. And I agree with you. Like Now, if, if a song really resonates, it doesn't have to be the single, whatever that even means sure. now. It can be like this great thing. If someone puts it on a you – know, Spotify puts it on their their you know New Music Friday playlist, and all of a sudden, it's like, who's this Canyon? city right and i'm sure that's, I, that's how i heard about you was on cool. apple music someone cool. uh had you on some sort of playlist or new artist or whatever it was and it showed up there right and that's the beauty of that i it would have been much harder to find you in a record store because you you're like checking for album covers do <laughs> i like this album cover enough yeah. to spend 15 dollars on this yeah and just guess on it yeah know. yeah and sometimes i'd guess and it would sometimes work out but usually not <laughs> and uh, it was a lot of wasted money and now i can now i can listen to it uh the money side of things which we'll get into in a moment is certainly different because um now artists are are really trying to find a way it's it's opened up this whole new avenue for you to develop an audience but then it's like how do i make a living off of this too which is an important aspect i think we got a money question a little bit later on right definitely well for adam i'm sure we answered your question flawlessly and um (laughs) you've got everything you need to know now about moving forward with your uh sports 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 equipment um, we, uh, we're going to send you a copy of our book, Essential. It's an essay collection with uh, 150 different essays in there. And the reason I'm going to send you a copy of that, Adam, is there's an entire chapter in there on stuff and collections and hoarding. And, and there's also a chapter about minimalism and, and sort of the, the process of letting go. So, Sean, if you could reach out to Adam and get him an uh, audiobook copy. If you like our podcast, you'll probably like the audiobook of that. It's over six hours long, I think, or it's close to six hours long. So uh, a lot of, uh, of good tips and tricks from the minimalists in that book. It's called Essential Essays by the Minimalists. Or if he doesn't want the audiobook, uh, you're welcome to send him the physical book or the, the e-book as well. Our next question is from Gabriella in Oakland. I am an artist and I'm a project manager for work. Um, and what I love to do is I hand paint textiles. So I have this workroom in my house and I've been really interested in minimalism for quite a long time, but I, I've never found any information on when you have something that you do that you love that requires a lot of things like sewing has like a thousand tools. And so I'm wondering if you guys can talk about that. Cause there are a lot of people who have workrooms that don't have the luxury of 
having a laptop and that's it. And I feel like a lot of these things that I read and tips and all this stuff is geared towards that. It's like, oh, let's have the laptop and nothing else on the desk. But I don't, it doesn't work that way. And so I guess I'm looking for like some practical application and like, how do you do that? Well, I have some bad news. You're going to have to get rid of everything except your laptop. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny. I heard this. And I know she paints textiles, but I thought, you know what? Like there, there are a lot of artists who have only a laptop. Now I understand she paints textiles, so this is a different type of right. uh, artist skill set. But it is well, possible let me, let me to be ask an artist. You, Ryan, have you heard of Microsoft Paint? <laughs> Dude, I have seen some amazing things done <laughs> That's, with that yeah. program. <laughs> They're they're true artists. It's really amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, I think about like Colin's work, dude. Colin is an artist. Yeah, totally. He doesn't have a. He doesn't have a room designer. Yeah, Yeah, right. Exactly. He doesn't full stuff. But but in this in this situation, in Gabriella's situation, she does have a room full of stuff because that is the type of art that she chooses uh, to do, which is great. I'm so happy that she has found something that she loves, a hobby that she likes to do. Gabriella, congratulations. Um, I think with Gabriella, and I think this will hold true with um, Adam as well. Earlier is. Dude, we as we have to create limitations for ourselves. Mm. We we really have to enforce these things in our lives that are going to help us breed the creation that we desire. With Gabriella, uh, if she holds on to every single textile that she comes across, if she buys every single you know oil paint that or acrylic paint, whatever paint she uses that she comes across. Well, then she's just going to have a bunch of paint and textiles. It'd be like if you bought um, every instrument that piqued your interest. Every every guitar pick that you, you stumbled across. <laughs> you're like, I've got to have this one. It's slightly. Yeah. But but uh, I'll just say this. You have a workroom in your house, you said. Uh, I'll just say there's nothing inherently wrong with having a workroom if you need it. I mean, Ryan and I are in this workroom that we call mm-hmm. our studio right We've now. We've got right? stuff in here. We've got three microphones. That's right. We've got three mic stands. We've got a podcast, Sean. <laughs> I took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> and of course, two laptops. That's right. And of course, two laptops on a white table. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Here's the thing. Um, the, the question that, that I then ask is, uh, what is necessary for me to create? You, you said you have a, mm. a thousand tools that are being, uh, and are those thousand tools being used? Um, if so, how frequently, right? My guess is if you have a thousand tools, like literally if you were, I'm not telling you to count them or anything, but if you have a thousand tools, how frequently can you use them? You know, there are people with a thousand guitars, you know, a collection with a thousand guitars. And many of them haven't been played for many years. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of sad. It's kind of a shame. It's like that potential for this beautiful thing to to ring out and, and 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 there are so many musicians who would actually find value in that thing right mm-hmm. and so for, for gabriella um do, do they stress you out do, do having a thought i mean the reason you're calling in it to me is either a you're asking for permission to keep the stuff and if that's the case permission granted you don't need yeah, our, our absolutely. permission gabriella keep it but or, or <laughs> b you're calling because maybe it, there's a little bit of stress you say okay i need some of the stuff but maybe i have too much mm. i haven't reached a detente yeah. with the the amount of stuff i need in order to to create to the best of my ability and yeah. so if they stress you out could someone else get value from them would someone else benefit from having some of those thousand tools for the person who has a thousand guitars maybe you don't need a thousand maybe you need a hundred yeah and and 
could 900 other people get value from from those yeah. guitars right dude i think that speaks right into uh, her having to create some of these limitations for herself so paul i'm interested man um i'm sure that y- you will come across an instrument and uh, a cajon and you will say or is it cajon <laughs> Cajon. Cajon? Okay, all right. You come across like, a Cajon. Like a, it could be and like a like, gift situation. Press <laughs> the box you sit on and, and play like yep. a drum, right? Right. Okay. So you could you might look at something like that and think, man, that would be really fun to play, and I could probably make some really awesome music with that. And then you start to think about the cool things you could do with that Cajon. Um, it's instantly going to make you want to buy it. Uh, but I know you don't do that. So I, what kind of limitations do you have on yeah. yourself that helps you to prevent it's, from... Final itself. And it's it's certainly a fine line because there have been times when, uh, like with a current guitar that I, I tour with and I, I, I record with, there were times when I, I get that and there's like almost an inspiration that came with that new instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. However, uh, and so there, there's been times where the, when the new tools expanded the horizon a bit. Um, yeah, but I I would say there there's also as many decisions that are made for me before I step into the studio to create the song. The more time I'm going to spend. Uh, singing, creating, and really uh, trying to decorate the music. So I, I try to create as little of a technical barrier mm. in between, uh, in between basically the the what's in my head and what ends up in the in the the, the song. And so like I just got uh, a few new microphones that are really helping me get a sound that I, I more like and uh, spend a little less time playing with EQs and that kind of stuff. But with my old microphone, I have a buddy that's just now trying to get into music, and uh, and so I was like, well, hey man, like I, like I'm probably not going to use my $150 microphone anymore because I just got this this nicer one. Like, do you do you want to use that one? And and so it's it's in some cases the new thing adds a coloration that uh, does expand the territory for me. But if I'm like, well, okay, well that's now where I live, and the 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 thing that was maybe before that. Uh, or or that I moved on from, I can kind of let go of that as opposed to, I know you guys are saying like the just yeah. in case thing, as I opposed to saying one. like, you know, I'm going to have this, keep it around just for, just in case. Uh, and so I, I do try to And that would be so easy to decision. do. Like yeah. I've got this old microphone. Yeah. Uh, it's it's probably this big. I'm holding like my hands out yeah. right now in front of Paul. Uh, you could probably stick that in a drawer and not think about it. Yeah. And you might, there might be a sound on that. There might be. Yeah. You, there isn't like right away. You don't look at that microphone and think, oh, there's a sound on there that only that microphone can provide, but certainly there might be yeah. just in case. And I think, oh, go ahead. Oh, and so with, with art too, sometimes there's nostalgia. Uh, I mean, like the, the microphone that I gave away was the microphone that I used on all of Midnight Waves. Um, oh, and dude, uh, yeah. and so like there, so on a certain sense, there there could be a, a sense of, you know, like, oh, well, this is what I, this is like, you know, it's, it's the value of that record is not in the microphone that I used on it. It's in this, the songs and the, and the people that gave it life that by listening to it and stuff. And yeah. um, so I think that's also another element of difficulty is, is like the, the emotional, especially when you're doing artistic stuff with it. Yeah. Um, no, sort of, yeah. I think it's cool that you gave it to your friend, man. It's like you as the artist have made some beautiful works with this piece of oh, equipment and now you're like kind of passing the baton on to your friend to, for them to make some beautiful work. Yeah. And, it, and it, otherwise it would just be sitting in, you know, a mic locker and not doing anything. So I'd much rather it be, be doing that. But um, the yeah. thing itself is not sacred. It's what it was able to accomplish for you at exactly. that particular time. And it could continue to serve a purpose for you, but you've decided that there's a, a different direction you want to go that makes more sense for what you're trying to create in the future. I, I'm reminded of, there's a guy named uh, Pete Rollins. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. He's a uh, evangelical. He has a, a new podcast right now called the fundamentalists. Um, cool. but it, it's sort of, it's him and a comedian. He's on Rob Bell's podcast all the time. He's from Belfast. And, um, 
he is sort of known uh, as so rob bell has this this documentary coming out called the heretic um well pete rollins wrote a book called the orthodox heretic <laughs> and and so he's known for doing sort of unorthodox things in the world of orthodox christianity and this this story is applicable whether whatever your religious beliefs are ryan and i have different spiritual beliefs um but he he was known for a while he would go into like a couple mega churches like the big sort of churches in the south now think about this for a second he'd go into a church a big mega church and he'd rip a bible up on the stage (laughs) now his he wasn't trying to piss people off or like trying to 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 he he wasn't trying to say like well he certainly look at was this piece of crap he was he was he was certainly trying to piss people off because no he, he wasn't he wasn't trying to piss them off he he was trying trying to be tantalizing um and, and he was trying to 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 get people to think he uh, was yeah he was trying to he was trying to get reaction whether yes. that was being pissed off or whether that was being tantalized or whatever it was he wanted to take you to a certain emotion Right, and then and then help you unpack that emotion. Yeah, and help you understand that hey, it's this is this artifact. It's just it's just a book. Like right. the the power for him was in the words and the parables and the stories that were in that book. Right, mm-hmm. and I often tell people that with with our own books, I'm like, hey, if once you like get value from this thing, like please pass it on to someone, a library, you know, give it to a friend, family member, throw it at an enemy, do something <laughs> that that be, because. The, the powers and the words is not it does no good just sitting on, on your bookshelf collecting dust and and I think that's what he was trying to communicate and then of course like there was people who got really who did get pissed off of course and, and they went to their you know, lead pastor of the church and in Twitter and, uh, I'm sure they probably did <laughs> are, are people just always nice on Twitter <laughs> they're, the, they're the loveliest just we, a hug fest on, on Twitter we did an episode it was episode number 55 of our podcast uh, called Critics and uh, where Ryan and I read mean tweets about our documentary. So funny. It's one of my favorite episodes awesome. we've ever done. Good. I think I remember, uh, I saw you guys in Nashville. Uh, and I think it was either there or in D.C. I, I think it was in Nashville. You referenced one of those uh, about like Ryan hugging everybody. Rape, rape hugging everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. I, even, I brought up Twitter. Like, be- <laughs> I brought up Twitter because Sean and I went and saw a uh, podcast. Sean and I and Mariah, we went and saw um, Tim Allen last night oh yeah, yeah you know whoa 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 tim the toolman taylor <laughs> yeah, yeah and the whole time he's like please don't go to twitter after this <laughs> please don't go tweeting this these are jokes mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the other thing people don't realize with yeah. comedians like they give away their whole sets or whatever and oh you just come up with new material no they work for years on that material yeah. and uh and now you're just giving it away uh it ruins ruins the joke for other people but here's the thing people would go to the 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 lead pastor of that church and and they're like complaining like i just it was not right what he did to that book and uh it's a sacred book and so uh the the pastor trying to be very nice and he was like all right i understand where you're coming from and he he took a cd-rom of the bible off his shelf (laughs) and broke it in two and he goes did that make you feel bad and they're like no that's different though and he's like, no, it's not different. It's the same thing. It's just a vehicle, right? <laughs> and I think that's what we get caught up in. These tools that Gabriella are, are talking about, these are, are vehicles to get you to create what you want to create. It's part of the, the creating experience. But sometimes we have a thousand tools. Sometimes those tools get in the way of the creation. Mm-hmm. They, they stifle the creativity. Going back to the Dr. Dre analogy or think of any other analogy, when, when you're focusing solely on the tools, uh, you, you get you get lost in in the acquisition 
process and not in the process of creating. We get consumed by consumption. I'd rather be consumed by the, the, the creating side. And then you can use whatever tools are necessary to create whatever you want to create. Yeah, Gabriella, I mean, think about think about this. When I was going through all my stuff uh, with the packing party, um, Josh had to talk me into basically getting rid of anything that um, I hadn't used for the last year. And, and if I was honest with myself, probably wasn't going to use within the next year. Um, that, that is a rule that I actually have shortened that now. Now it's, you know, the 90, 90 rule. Um, I can do most of my things. I can, I can look at it in a 90 day sense instead of a 365 day sense. But, but, you know, I really want to encourage Gabriella here to put those rules in place. Cause here's the beautiful thing. Let's say she literally limits herself, literally limits herself to a white table and a laptop. Mm-hmm. She's going to sit there and she's going to discover one of two things. Mm-hmm. She's going to discover like, oh, wow, I can, I can create with this laptop. In, in some weird way, I don't know, she could paint a textile with a laptop. I understand that that's impossible. Just bear with me. Yeah. So she might realize like, oh, wow, I can actually create with a laptop. Or she will look at it and say, it is impossible for me to paint a textile with this laptop. I absolutely, I need a textile and I need a paintbrush. Yeah. Then you start asking the, the good questions. What do I need? What, exactly. What are the fundamentals? Well, what, are, what are the essentials that are going to help me create? And then you build from that place instead of trying to build from the place of overabundance of, of a horde of stuff that may be getting in, in the way of, of creating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's a, a confidence and a freedom in, in that too. When, when, uh, when you when you realize that the creation is is really fairly portable within you, and uh, oh. you know it's it's uh, something that um, you know you don't write need that to, down, Sean. Creativity is portable. <laughs> ah, and it's, it's a John Mayer song. What, what what is it? He said, uh, uh, "Pack me up, take me out. I'm portable." Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know that one. Yeah, and it's uh, I think there's like a, a an empowerment in that, and and it's like it's uh, like yeah, these are the tools to get it out, but mm. like it's they they aren't. Um, what makes this special or what makes what I'm doing special is not, you know, this, this crazy piece of gear that I'm yeah. using or something like that. It's, it's, you know, the thing that is kind of being uh, born out of, out of this person. And, uh, yeah, that's a fun thing. It's I, funny. I, I was, I don't know what this means, but like going back to the Cirque du Soleil versus the Penn and Teller show, I am way more impressed with Penn and Teller, way more impressed with Penn and Teller than the Cirque du Soleil. I enjoyed the Cirque du Soleil more because it, again, all the stimuli and it's, I just have never seen anything like it. But but going back to that Penn and Teller show, I would much rather go back and see that Penn and Teller show again than the Cirque du Soleil. Yeah, because because of the simplicity and because of how they're they're able to be two dudes. Like I hope one day we can be as awesome as Penn and Teller, Josh. Yeah, well, <laughs> do I have to stop talking right now? Done. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen Chris D'Elia? You know I can never stop talking. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> What about uh, uh, he posted this thing there's this i think it's called like the hush or something it's this contraption you put on your face you look like bane <laughs> but I, if you want to like have a private phone call you can have like a phone booth around your mouth <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> i was thinking about getting one of those for you just for to wear around just for the hell of it <laughs> yeah it's just to take ryan places here ryan and... wear this wear this while we record this episode <laughs> hey just try this out <laughs> what a um, dick. I, I was thinking of two other things you mentioned that's what you're getting me for president's day <laughs> that's right <laughs> it was on sale though yeah that's right 
was 30% off. I had to act now. Um, uh, the, the 90, 90 rule you mentioned, have I used this in the last 90 days? Am I going to use it in the next 90 days? And for, for Gabrielle and her tools, maybe it's last year. Have I used this last year or am I going to use it? Maybe it's two years. Could be whatever. And, and, and start somewhere. Just have some rule in place that you can live by. And of course you might want to make an exception, but try not to make an exception. If you set up the rule, then you don't need to make an exception. Josh, I always give this, this advice and start with a year and then pare down. Yes. And uh, I say start paring down and then scale up, because going back to that example of if she if she removes everything, yeah. this but, is a very stoical experiment. Yeah, don't just throw everything out. You can box it up. You can box it up. You can do your pack and party on your tools. But but anyone facing this type of situation is literally limit yourself to to, to nothing. Yeah. And then start bringing stuff in as, as you need it. It's so much better, man. Yeah, I because actually, you I realize I what you need. Yeah, I wish I would have done that way. I wish I would have done the ninety ninety way sooner. And so I, and the other thing that I think about is the just-in-case rule. We, we often think about these things. We hold on to a 1,000 tools, right, because I'm going to hold on to that just in case I need it someday, mm-hmm. just in case I want to go back and record on that microphone, just in case I'm going to use that paintbrush or whatever, even though it's past the, the 90-90 rule or the one-year rule or whatever. But they're not really they're not items we ever use. And I think the nice thing about starting with a blank slate is you'll realize you don't need most, you're not going to bring most of the things back in, right? But there are some things that will fall outside your 90-90 rule. They're just for win items. Sure. Yeah, my snowboard, like I'm not going to go, well, I don't know what the, where the 90-90 rule falls, but my snowboard will not fall in there, I'm pretty you're sure. Prob- probably not. But it's, it's you also know you're going to use it at some point, right? right. You're certain about that. It is that. a just for win, absolutely. Yeah, and, and you continue to reevaluate that. And if one day you decide, hey, I'm not snowboarding at all anymore, <laughs> <laughs> then I think we have to admit that. I tend to reevaluate well. that every single like every single time the first day of the season that I go on that first like long windy lift. Mm. I always contemplate, am I going to do this next year? <laughs> but then as soon as I start going down the hill, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm going to keep doing this. Yeah, and and, and you know, it, we, but we have to move on to let go of part. Sometimes that becomes part of our identity, right? Uh, one thing I let go of pretty recently, I think until until very recently, I considered myself primarily a, a fiction writer, and that that's what I did throughout my twenties. I enjoyed doing that, even when I was in the corporate world. And that this was, you know, I didn't have plans for the the whole minimalism thing. It was great that it worked out that this way, but I thought, maybe this would be a cool springboard, maybe to to launch that that fiction writing career. And while I still enjoy that side of things, I no longer think of myself as a fiction writer. I had to let go of that because it wasn't something that I do regularly anymore. I write still and I write frequently. I write almost every day, but I don't consider myself fiction writer because it's not doing that anymore. I had to let go of that sort of label, right? And so I think when we let go of that label, it, it frees up the, the creativity as well. And it's like, okay, I'm not in that box anymore. Mm. I'm able to create. And uh, so... Paul, with with your last album, like I know that like there might be some nostalgia, or that you needed this particular piece of equipment to, or this guitar was just right to record that album. But as a as a listener of a consumer of the music, I could I don't really care about like what guitar you yeah. used, right? Tom Petty had a great quote in his documentary. He says, "Nobody cares how records are made; they care how they sound." Yes, and, yeah, uh, and that's really I, I think the. Um, it's also just that, you know, what you're just saying about like letting go of, of certain labels or certain things. It's also the permission to to move forward too. Mm. Like I, I always love, I haven't moved in a while, but I always love the feeling after a move when everything is kind of settled. Cause I, at that point I've sort of looked at everything and, you know, decided whether or not I, and it's almost like there's, there's, it's like a spring uh, season of life right after a move because it, you have permission to like become a new person to sort mm. of reach it, you know, reevaluate 
just your your day's structure and, and all that stuff. And uh, yeah. you I get think to reevaluate the box that's been moving with you from yeah, place to exactly, place that yeah. you haven't opened. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think with, with artistic tools, it does the same thing where if, if I'm, you know, if I'm, because uh, inevitably you're going to be a different person with every project. And, and, uh, and so it's going to grow and it's going to change. And I think if, if the stuff that you're using also reflects that and says, I, I couldn't recreate album number one if I wanted to, it would just be a knockoff, you know? Mm. And so like, let's, let's abandon even trying to do that mm. and let's let it go and move forward and see what, what, uh, you know, what's new that the things that's a scarier thing though. It's always scarier to, to go for the uncertain future than to try to sort of knock off the certain past. You yeah. Know? Well, and that, that, that repetition can also breed some sort of despair as well. We're going to feel like we're not growing if, and there are some artists that are able to do it somehow. They keep making the same album over and right. over and over. Yeah. And quite often they sound good, but at some point um, you're like, ah, like, or don't you want to, don't you want to move beyond that? There's an artist I think of uh, Matt Carney who, who lives in Nashville. Yeah, he's a Nashville guy. Um, and he is on tour right now with uh, Andrew Bell. Oh yeah. And um, they, I mean, I, I think of all th- both of those guys actually like, their sound has evolved album to album, especially Matt Carney. Like you could tell, there's sort of this this period. Like he he did the singer songwriter thing mixed with like this sort of hip hop thing, and then he his second album was more like it was geared toward making live music, and and and, and each album has a distinct sound that is so different from the previous album but it's still very matt carney it's just the evolution of matt carney from being 25 to being you know 39 or however yeah. old he is now and you realize like he's able to grow with that still be himself but in order to do that he had to leave the past behind he had to leave that behind and say okay that was a moment and as imperfect as it was i have to move on from that and the other thing i think about when you're talking about the tools what tools we're using jack johnson is a great example because he he talks about how like he was a film director and a musician yeah. and i wasn't very good at film directing because i would just like th- start throwing the cameras in the bag and the lenses <laughs> i wasn't i was beating them up i wasn't paying attention and people ask him like what guitar you use and he's like I don't, let me look and like, he, like he's like i don't someone just gave me this one yeah. and i really like it now but he's like i don't really get caught up in and the the instrument or the tool like they are tools but i, I don't want to fetishize the the instrument i want to just play it and enjoy the experience of getting it out there and yeah having jimmy hendrix's guitar does not make you jimmy hendrix ah, that's, that's i wish that's pithy i wish a lot of musicians in nashville knew that because mm. it's it's a there's definitely a culture of like uh gear maybe almost in instead of creating with it you know like like it's and especially in the studios it's just you know yeah like a showcase room and that kind of stuff and yeah uh, it's easy to get caught up yeah, in man i mean it, is, it would yeah. excite me if someone if someone like you know handed me hey this used to belong to Jimi hendrix i mean sure. certainly there's going to be some kind of nostalgia there but there's a but i understand yeah. that like i'm gonna have to work really really hard to make that guitar sound if i would ever even be able to make that yeah. guitar sound the same way that he did right right we, we had a um on so on the, on this tour we, we did a really brief stint in the uk and we kind of had had ourselves a moment of just uh tourism and, and vanity where we booked a day in abbey road studios um which was totally like i i knew that i could actually like my because of my workflow and because of the way that i have my setup in my home i knew that i actually probably could make a better session like more productive day mm-hmm. at home but it was just out of you know reverence of the the place yeah um but uh it's still on real to real or they they can we we didn't though we okay. did we just did the because i was gonna take the, the files home and, and gotcha. edit them and all that good stuff but it was definitely a it, it was uh it, it was a 
interesting thing because on one side there I'm glad we did it for a day because there was like you know oh here's where you know these sort of the, the music happened and and where some of these guys ate and you know played and that kind of stuff um, but I remember about halfway through the day thinking like I I think I can actually do like uh, a little bit better job at home you know like <laughs> and I got, and then we also uh, uh, my photographer Thomas and I we we had like when we were setting up just you know we had a, a great engineer but i i'm sure he was mad at us because we were just like banging out let it be on the piano with like no reverence whatsoever uh, just you know karaoke yeah. style on the <laughs> thing but um but yeah it's it's a uh, you know it was certainly a moment of like we're, we're in the space that does not make us the beatles you know interesting <laughs> was, man well it's yeah. funny because that space it wasn't even that space until the beatles were there yeah like they or the ones who made it that space. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. If I handed you Joe Rogan's microphone, we're not going to be able to have a conversation like Joe Rogan. I think can, we right? literally use the same microphones. That yeah, but not, it's not his microphone. Right? <laughs> what if we could get his microphone? We'd be just as awesome. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Anyway, uh, Gabriella, there's an entire chapter on creativity and passion in our book, Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life. And I'd love to give you a copy of that. So Sean, if you could reach out to her and give her an audiobook copy or the book book or the ebook, I'd really appreciate it. And let's uh, let's move on. Oh, before we move on, Ryan, we'd love to hear what you all have to say. If you're listening to this at home or in your car or on a treadmill or... If you had to log on to the internet. <laughs> what? <laughs> to listen to this podcast. <laughs> Sorry, that was like an inside joke reference to like <laughs> a couple episodes ago. If you're out there just free climbing, listening to this podcast. <laughs> Hold we on. Yeah, please do. Uh, please pl- press pause and go get some gear. It's one of the rare, rare times you hear us say that. Yeah, like a parachute. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'd love to hear what y'all have to say. So if you have a comment or tip about hobbies or anything that we've talked about today or advice for any of our callers today, leave us a voicemail, 406-219-7839. You can also email a voice memo right from your phone to podcast at theminimalists.com. We'll air our favorite comments and tips on a future episode. Ryan, what time is it? It's time for our lightning round where we answer questions from social media. Josh, I got to be honest, man. I'm really looking forward to these tips and tricks uh-huh. because I get asked a lot about Hobbies. what artists, yeah, what artists mm. specifically should do. In fact, in my uh, uh, notes of essay ideas, uh, one is artists supplies. Mm. Um, so if there are any artists out there, I really, really look forward to hearing what you have to say. Or if we just get Paul to, to write one line that's going to sum up everything. For us. <laughs> that's right. We we'll can put do it in too. a song somewhere. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, definitely go ahead and call us or, or send us a voice memo from your phone. Would love to get your tips and tricks on a future episode. Time for the lightning round. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Minimalist during the lightning round. This is where Ryan and I do our best to each answer uh, a question or a couple questions here with just a, a short, shareable, less than 140 character response. We also put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you'd like and now you can find all of our quotes in one place it's minimalmaxims.com all right our first lightning round question is from lucy lucy writes in is it still a hobby if you make money from it Hmm. So I think that that really echoes what you were talking about earlier, Paul. You don't have to have a pithy answer right away. We can monitor sure. a little bit, and we'll, we'll get there eventually. My, uh, I, I borrowed this short, short, uh, um, pithy answer, this minimal maxim here from Drake, and then I added to it. Nice. If the outcome is income, 
it's not a hobby. <laughs> and and I, I really I really think that quite often we get so caught up in money. So I have this little essay here from Derek Sivers. He is a and you're gonna love this book. It's so he's one of my favorite writers. It's called The Mindset of Marketing Your Music, which I don't love the title, and I'm gonna have to talk to him about the the title of it. <laughs> I didn't know you knew Derek Sivers. We've been emailing back and forth. Um, uh, but he he uh, he's super talented uh, as a writer. He has a great book called Anything You Want. And uh, but he has this book that's sort of online. I don't know if he's gonna. He, he put it out a while ago, but he's rewriting the whole thing. But this chapter is about money, and so he has these really short, pithy chapters that are almost like Zen-like in in their in their brevity. It's called "Shed Your Money Taboos." And by the way, I think this book is more like a. It says it, it's it's for marketing your music, but I think it's the mindset of marketing for creative people really because it's it goes way beyond the music marketing yourself yeah yeah especially if you're a creative person or you're trying to create so So is that that your new title for it yeah i I gotta find something good because he has the best titles can you legally do that just change someone else's title yeah i've done it already (laughs) (laughs) i changed your title to uh coo <laughs> nice! <laughs> Finally got that C level. Congratulations! <laughs> Thank you. Um, now this. Uh, so wow, it turns out this is happiness. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan just walked out right now. Right. Never coming back. <laughs> All right. So this is called "Shed Your Money Taboos." Everyone has weird mental associations with money. They think the only way to make money is to take it away from others. They think that charging for your art means it was insincere and only for profit. But after being around the music business for 20 years and knowing thousands of musicians, I've learned this. The unhappiest musicians I've met are the ones who avoided the subject of money and now are desperately broke or need a draining day job. It may sound cool to say money doesn't matter, to say don't worry about it in the negotiation moment, but it leads to a really hard life. Then ultimately, your music suffers because you can't give it the time it needs and you haven't found an audience that values it. The happiest musicians I know are the ones who developed a valuable aspect of their skill and confidently charge a high price. There's a deep satisfaction when you know how valuable you are and the world agrees. Then it reinforces itself as you can focus on being the best artist you can be since you found an audience that rewards you well for it. So never underestimate the importance of making money. Let go of any taboos you have about it. Money is nothing more than a neutral exchange of value. If people give you money, it's proof that you're giving them something valuable in return. So by focusing on making money with your music, you're making sure it's valuable to others, not only to you. I think it's so important because here's the thing the, the, my little pithy answer was like if the outcome is income then it's not a hobby but that's that's okay here's the thing I don't want the primary driver of what I do what I create to be money but I think it's a part of the process is what Derek Sivers is saying here like because otherwise y- you are y- if it's if it's just part of the process but it's not leading then you're being honest about your need to, to earn a living from that thing, and that's okay. But if it becomes the primary driver, then we start to sacrifice. You were, you were hinting at that earlier. Like, I had to get rid- out of this recording contract because the primary driver for that record label or whomever was, oh, we got to make this marketable. It has to be, it has to, we have to aggregate as many eyeballs as possible on this thing so that it, it sells enough units to make us the, the most amount of money possible. Yeah. 
Dude, I see your Derek Sivers essay, and I raise you a Seth Godin oh, essay. Go for it. This came out earlier today. It's fun. I didn't even think about reading this until you read that one. Um, it, the title of this <clears throat> is, I'm not selling anything. This is so good. <laughs> this joke's going to be so funny, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> you know Ella says that, too. Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> uh, the title of this is, I'm not selling anything. Of course you are. You're selling connection or forward motion. You're selling a new way of thinking, a better place to work, a chance to make a difference, or perhaps you're selling possibility, generosity, or sheer hard work. It might be that the selling you're doing costs time and effort, not money. But if you're trying to make change happen, then you're selling something. If you're not trying to make things better, why are you here? Mm. So sure, you're selling something. Perhaps it would be more accurate to say, I'm not selling something too aggressively, invading your space, stealing your attention, and pushing you to do something that doesn't match your goals. Hmm. That's probably true. At least I hope it is. I think that's the thing with like, so we're, we've gone out on tour. We, we really hope people show up. You're out on tour right now, Paul, and you want people to show up. You're, you're selling yourself. You're selling this performance. You're selling your music. You hope people listen to it. But you're also asking for more than just money quite often. We're asking for the most precious resource, someone's attention. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Time that's- and attention. And dude, I got to say, man, if I'm going out of my way to get someone's attention, then I'm going to make the most of that time. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, otherwise you're wasting their time. Absolutely. What's your pithy answer, Ryan? My pithy answer is forcing yourself to make money from a hobby is a great way to kill your love for that hobby. Mm -hmm. And, uh, going back to what I was, uh, trying to get out of you earlier about, there was this point in your career, man, where you were forcing yourself to make money because you wanted to get out of that that nine to five job, which there's nothing wrong with wanting to sure. to do something different. But when we force ourselves to make money, we start to compromise a lot of things that uh, that we normally wouldn't compromise. Yeah. And in my case, the irony was that the thing that people connect with was is the thing that I was compromising to make it mm. a career. And so when I uh, basically what I did is I redefined success at that point. I'm like, it's okay. If, I may have to do some things that I don't want to do to, you know, have a roof over my head, but I don't want to lose the thing that I love anymore. And so it's okay if I have to do those things, but to protect that, my new definition of success in music is going to be working at Home Depot so that I have my nights free, uh, you know, to, to make music. And then that, I love that, that took all the pressure off to make commercially viable stuff. And then now, uh, I think it's the authenticity, the honesty that people end up connecting with. And I, I ended up writing differently and uh, just sort of took that, that demon off my shoulder, you know, mm-hmm. um, when I was, when I was in the room and, and, and it became my job after that. So, I mean, I still, although it's what it's how I make money now, music is still my hobby too. It's, it's what I do, uh, you know, for, for like a lot of people will say, well, how do you, you know, how do you write a record a year? Or just, I'm like, it's literally what I do for fun. Yeah. Like I, I, you know, I'll go home and I'll, it's cheaper than therapy a lot of times. And, uh, you know, I, I, uh, it's just, it's just one of the ways that I most enjoy myself. That's so true, man. It's funny. Cause I think about what, what you and I do, Josh, and I'm still having fun and, uh, people, I know they look at us and they're like, man, the minimalists are so huge now. And, and, and they're fame or wh- whatever people tell us, but dude, I still fully expect one day we're going to wake up and the rug is just going to be like swept out from underneath. Oh, I have us. the same fear or other people are going to be like, Oh, like, 
you know what we, we you went know to what? the wrong door right exactly yeah. like yeah exactly like oh no we did not mean to buy that album yeah. <laughs> can we return <laughs> like, this oh, that right. went to the wrong address right. Sorry. i'm afraid that all of a sudden we're yeah. gonna get like you know a hundred thousand books returned to us <laughs> like a glitch but, in the system but ultimately though uh you know going to the thing that josh and i talk about where um you know josh and i truly feel like over the last eight years like you know one of the superpowers we've been able to develop is is letting go and and I am totally willing to let go of making money this way, uh, just like you are willing of letting go of making money that way. But it's something that you always want to do. And that's how I feel about it. Like, this is something I'm always going to incorporate in my life. It's something I'm always going to be passionate and excited about. And I can make money off of it. Great. But but tomorrow I might not. Uh, but as long as I can go find for me, it's being a barista. My definition of success is like, you know, one day, Josh. We actually might be able to be baristas. I mean, you guys, <laughs> if all this falls apart, you have that coffee shop. I know that's like our plan. That's like our plan D. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> plan the, F. I don't know if Weaver would let us work there. He, would, he won't even let me touch the espresso machine. <laughs> we own a coffee shop. I'm not allowed to touch anything. You can't touch the espresso is there, machine. Is there a certain pressure when you own a coffee shop when like people come over and like, hey, let me make you a cup of coffee? Uh, yeah, like the expectations well, he, are, are super high. Well, well, the yeah. thing is, if you come to my house and I make you a cup of coffee, you're gonna have an awesome cup of coffee. Okay. That is so, true. <laughs> but the, the the problem is a lot of people like because they know we own a coffee shop they'll send us like bags of beans and the intentions are always great yeah. but it'd be like if i wrote a song for you to say thanks for writing songs ah, paul gotcha. and and it's like you would appreciate the the sentiment yeah. but it would be so bad i can i can play gonna, like four chords man like really right. well but you're not gonna uh, put that song on repeat um and and so yeah i mean it, it, you'd be like okay like thanks like but you'd have to like sort of soldier through the the experience of of me thanking you that way Uh, we got another question right ryan we do it's from little nibble (laughs) did you write this josh don't you know every single voicemail and (laughs) (laughs) question we get off of twitter are from me (laughs) i just disguise my voice and wear a mustache I like the mustache part because you don't even need that. Exactly. It's just to get in the character. It's a finger mustache. <laughs> Go for it. All right, Little Nibble wants to know, do you think one or two good hobbies are essential for a happy mind? One. I think it's four. Oh. oh. Damn. How many do you think it there is, Paul? There's just two options. One or two. <laughs> so one or two hobbies? Well, what, was the, what was the question? <laughs> do you think, do you think uh, hobbies are essential for a happy mind? Happy mind. Yeah. I, I think that things things that you do for the pure joy of it are um if yeah. that, and if that be the definition of a hobby then then yes but uh um, i think that's a great definition yeah. for a hobby a hobby is something you do for pure joy minimal maxim right there mr it. harding however that being said i think that happiness uh i think pursuing happiness is a fool's errand Amen. i think that i think that you will not um i think that i think that if, if the goal is to get happy you will not get happy uh yeah. and so it's it's a uh, but you'll feel like you got really close you'll always feel like you get oh, really yeah. close it's You're, right around the bend yeah. <laughs> right you always almost did it but uh yeah. but so so i don't know i mean it's uh on one side you know like i love taking walks i love hiking and that brings me brings me joy um but uh but I don't think I go ahead and go out and walk thinking like this is going to make me really, really happy. Like I think it's usually like I need some clarity or I just need a moment or I need mm-hmm. some exercise. And then in that moment of presence, I become happy. But um, so, so I don't know. I mean, if it's not the expectation. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. So, so if, if the question is are hobbies essential for a happy mind, my pithy answer is just three words. Essential is perspectival. Absolutely. And, and, and so like what's essential for me, like 
because Ryan has ho- plenty of hobbies that I don't have. He likes mountain biking and snowboarding, and I like walking and riding. And like, there, there's there can be intersect. Like we wait. Uh, you li- what do you ride? <laughs> I said right. Oh, they said writing. I don't write a damn thing. I'm like, what the hell are you and Bex into? <laughs> <laughs> That's a different episode. Oh, <laughs> I think Bex and I need to start our own podcast <laughs> to talk about stuff we can't talk about on here. Yeah. Ryan, well, you got anything pithy for me? Oh, yeah, man. Uh, I was just going to say hobbies hobbies aren't the way to happiness, but they do make life interesting. So uh, going back to relying on happiness, Paul, I'm so shocked, dude. Like you, you have taken a hobby. You've turned it into a living. You do what you love. And you mean to tell me that you still have to work? <laughs> you mean there are days where you still have to get up and work? Oh, absolutely. And it's, I'm, I'm not a good worker. That's, that's the issue is I'm, I'm actively trying to hire out the work right now of, of uh, so you can do procrastinate or what is that? Uh, it's yeah. What's you, it's procrastination. And, and well, he I wants to do the work he loves, man. Like, yeah. and, and it's impossible for him to take pictures while he's doing this podcast oh. and do the podcast at the same time. There's yeah, also we've got Thomas problem. in the room here. He's, he's filming <laughs> this for Paul. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely days when, you know, you just, you just don't feel like it or, or, uh, or the, the things that go around in supporting it, uh, you know, are, are like the admin God. work and that kind of stuff. Um, but, uh, I mean, at, at the end of the day, if, if that's my version of, of, you know, the home Depot and that sort of, you know, that, that definition of, of doing that so that the music can be protected, I'm happy to do it. Uh, there's, there's, I forgot the book, but, um, I think it was called big magic. I forgot the, who wrote it, but, uh, it was basically saying like the, it's not the arts job to take it's care Liz of Gilbert. you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And as it said, it's not the art's job to take care of you; it's your job to take care of the art. Mm. And uh, and that really turned around. It was, I was like, I'm gonna stop trying to extract from the art what I need to like live my life. But I'm gonna I'm gonna get the things I need, however I need to get them, so I can take care of the art. And uh, and that that was a big mindset change. That's huge. Yeah. That's great. That That's also great. a great pithy one that we stole from Liz there. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Liz. Copyright. <laughs> she, she did give us a really nice blurb once upon a time. And really? so, yeah, uh, yeah we, we, owe, we owe you one. Thank you, Liz. Um, one, one more question here. Larry asked, baseball cards, comic books, guitars, spoons, stamps, shot glasses, etc. Collecting isn't a hobby, is it? And if you want to hear our answer to that question, then you'll have to tune into our postscript episode this week. So every week, Ryan and I record a little postscript episode. It's it's the the PS of the podcast. A really short episode. It's a it's called the Minimalist Private Podcast, and it shows up right there in your podcast feed. So you don't have to get on the internet, log into some weird account, and then oh, I forgot my password. Where's my password manager? And all, all of these other <laughs> this things. Is, this is where the logging into the internet joke comes from. Uh, yeah, I think once I said you have to log on to the internet <laughs> you don't have to get out your 56k modem it shows so if you're listening to this podcast on your phone right now you can also listen to our postscript episode right there on your phone same podcast player you listen to if you are a patreon supporter so uh each each episode each week we put out an uh, episode of the minimalist private podcast it's sort of a follow-up question but we also do a bunch of other stuff for our patreon supporters so um if you are a patreon supporter you get access to our what we call ask the minimalists anything every month ryan and i do a video live stream for our patreon supporters we also put out some of our live events there on uh, patreon 
on the Minimalist Private Podcast. So we did this episode with, I would say we, it was Ryan because I was sick, right? Uh, with Paul and then with Cal Newport. And I think we're going to chop that one up and, and extract the uh, the good bits from that. And we'll put that. <laughs> there are some really good bits. There are. Yeah. There and are also some not really good bits. And plus you 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 played it's my favorite. Fault. I apologize. You played oh, my no, you favorite. You played my favorite song live in front of almost a thousand people there. <laughs> oh, dude, it was and, so good. And so we'll, we'll make sure that makes its way to the, the Minimalist's private podcast as well. If you're interested in supporting us, you can just go over to theminimalists.com, click on donate at the top. You can support us on PayPal or Venmo, one-time contributions. We really appreciate that. Or if you want to become a regular supporter and have access to all the, the back-end stuff, the live events, the, the PostScript podcast, the live streams. Also, we're going to do a video tour of the studio space. And we put out Philadelphia, Tampa, and Detroit, those live events recently as well. Those are all free if you're one of our... Actually, they're not free, right? We're selling them to you in a way. By the way, none of this money goes to me or Ryan. It goes to this this beautiful space that we're building up here in, in Los Angeles. Yeah, I can't wait to give all our patron fans a tour. Yeah, we're going to give you a video tour for, for our Patreon supporters. So head on over to theminimalists.com. Click donate at the top if you want to support us. And we should probably move on, Ryan, to our added value portion of the show. Let's do it. This is where we talk about, usually talk about some of this added value to our lives recently. But I, instead of doing that, I've, we've been swooning over Paul the entire time. I was hoping maybe you'd play a song for us. Love to. It'd be a blast. That'd be great, man. Do you have one you'd like to play or do you want me to throw one out to I, you? What do you I think? could, uh, if, there, if there's one you want to hear, I'm happy to do that. I'm happy to, yeah, I'm, I'll go either direction. Yeah. What's your satellite? Satellite? Oh, no. <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> Let's not hear satellite. <laughs> I haven't practiced that in so long. Oh, no way. Yeah. And so, it, you, you, so your album, uh, yeah. Constellation, I think the title yeah. comes from that, that, that song, it right? It does, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, so, I mean, the, the, the album title was, was uh, and Satellite is uh, kind of marking on that, is basically just about trying to put together the few known points of uh, a season, a person, a uh, thing, and then recognizing that it's uh, – it's eventually going to be a distortion and mm. um and trying mm. to nav- and then and that trying to navigate those dark spaces in between the points of light and understand you are going somewhere but you know we're, we're not quite sure where yet so sort of in that that moment of suspension um which i i wish i had satellite and like performance ready for you because that'd be a great intro for it <laughs> <laughs> this is even better well, ladies you, and gentlemen not satellite <laughs> i tell you what let's uh we'll, we'll pick a song and then we'll uh we'll have that live on the podcast for everyone now josh cool. i promise that if you keep your bra on during this song i will keep my bra on <laughs> i don't promise that i'll keep mine on. <laughs> so, so since we're not going to listen to, to satellite today um how about the new single you have out let's uh let's listen to shadows Sounds great. I heard it never rains in California And every day just fades in yellow sunsets Maybe I should break away and drive it's been 28 years in the storm It's a good little time for me to wake up I had to find my way out of a bad dream When the morning light came through the snow Light dust into my bloodstream Couldn't see it, I see the child 
That line about uh, 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 if you let the story go long enough, yes. all the heroes die. I texted it to you the day it came out. I'm like, oh my god. Yeah, no, I was just gonna say for me, dude, it's uh, it's a reminder to live in the moment because oh. instead of worrying about a legacy, instead of worrying about what I'm gonna be in 20 years, 
uh, dude, on a long enough timeline, I'm dead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then there was the optimism. We were talking about the hopefulness earlier. Yeah. There's, there's the optimism in the following line, where, but I'm a blank page and I'm ready to write. Absolutely. Sure. And, yeah. and there, there's just something like, uh, we embrace the blank page or we can be terrified by the blank page. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, there was certainly the opposite there where it's like, it's optimistic and, yeah. and there's a bright future on the blank page. God, that Tweet was great, that, Sean. Thank you oh. so much. Thank that you. was awesome. Well, thank you for the opportunity to play it. And, and it just means so much that, uh, that you guys uh, let me do that. So <laughs> thanks, well, thanks for, for that. being a part of it. <laughs> if uh, I know you don't tour a whole lot be- yeah. and, and kudos to you for that, man. Oh, thanks. Man. Uh, we're, we're, we've learned our lesson eight times over. <laughs> One of one of our favorite musicians uh, um, from the band Parlor Hawk, um, the he did the lead singer of the band Parlor Hawk. It's my favorite album of all time. Is, is their their self titled second album. Um, he did the soundtrack to our documentary, um, and just, just so talented. His voice is an instrument. His name's Andrew, and uh, man, he doesn't tour at all anymore because yeah. I just like I like creating. I don't I don't like touring. But you you found seems like a comfortable balance of both. You're out in the road. Yeah right now it's definitely uh i mean i love i love getting to meet the people that that allow me to do this for a living and that kind of stuff but i also definitely need to take the moments to to create and and uh just to like we were talking about before just kind of inhale a bit and all that good stuff and also right now i'm just in a moment of like um like 2017 was was uh immense which i don't know if this is you know this may be just kind of beyond a uh uh, what we're recording that kind of thing but like 2017 was was a period of growth for canyon city and now 2018 i'm sort of having to struggle with a moment of like uh saying this is enough like mm. this is um you know like i'm gonna mm. cause it, i i found myself over the last six months decreasing in happiness as numbers and things were increasing um and i was like well, why is that like I, yeah. I'm, I get to do what i absolutely love to do things are better than they've ever been but I'm getting sadder and sadder. I'm treating people poorer and poorer. Is it because um, it's raising your expectations? What? Well, yeah. What well, was with every? It was the fear of losing. I before this, I had nothing to lose, and then it was the fear of losing, uh, having something to lose, and then also with everything that would happen, and be like, okay, now we have to sustain and we have to grow. And so now, 2018 is really a moment where I'm like, uh, like draw a line and say this is enough. And we we yeah. hope, of course, you always you always welcome growth, but if uh, if this is uh, if this is where you know the, the cruising altitude, then that is uh, seven times what I ever would expect yeah. or hope for. Um, and 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 in that, I'm starting to finally be able to enjoy it and not be so scared all the time. Dude, yeah. to me, this is where the the idea of Home Depot being like Plan B or Plan yeah, C, whatever yeah. it is, like to me, like that's where I would. That's where I do use uh, uh, that that tactic, man. Yeah. Like. I feel the same way. It's like um, I, I don't get more depressed uh, the, the more that uh, the minimalists grow, yeah. um, but I feel the pressure. Yeah. I feel I feel the pressure of like everything I say has to be profound. <laughs> Every conversation I have, especially if it's at an event or if yeah. it's if it's like an actual like fan, I have to change their life with the conversation that I ha- and like I put all this pressure on myself to do more to do more, and I have to remind myself like a. Uh, Ryan, what you guys have been doing is what's what has gotten you this far. So keep doing that. Uh, and then I do remind myself: B, if it all goes to shit, yeah. I can go be a barista. Yeah, maybe they'll I, let me touch the espresso machine eventually. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. And so I think it's a very unhuman and especially un-American thing. Uh, 
I, I love love America. No, no, you know, like not trying to dig there, but like it, we it, all love America. I think it's pretty safe yeah. to say. Yeah. <laughs> there's an American but, mindset that you're saying. Yeah, yeah, very, very American mindset. Uh, very Western mindset of of like. Uh, <laughs> it's funny how uh, Western Western mindset is code for uh, yeah, dumb American mindset. Right, but anyway, right. Keep like I don't want to piss anybody <laughs> off, right. but an American mindset of uh, of like always always building, always growing, always expanding, and then uh, and it was sort of like the bigger it got the harder it was to um, to be happy because like the hot, the more I had to like, you know, achieve to like top that. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and it was the happiness was tied to topping what I did yesterday. And so um, I'm, I'm currently in a moment, I still don't feel like I've perfected, but I'm currently in a moment of uh, defining like this. I'm, I'm okay here and I'm actually okay with half of this, but, and, and like now I can be like finally present and grateful and awesome. um, you know, and trying to get better at that. That's beautiful. Well, I hope everyone checks out your new single. I hope they check out oh, the albums you. and uh, go back to the catalog and, and just listen and, and pause when necessary. <laughs> I appreciate that. All right, y'all. Let's move on to right here, right now. So where we talk about what's going on in the lives of the minimalists. The day this comes out, we are in Australia. Ryan, how about that event in Perth? Oh, yeah. my God. There was so much... <laughs> So many flies. How do you develop an accent so quickly? <laughs> How do you not, man? I assimilate to cultures. Why aren't you tolerant enough? Have you tried saying bacon yet in an Australian accent? <laughs> I have tried to say beer can in a Jamaican accent. <laughs> and it sounds similar. Um, no, but we uh, we already had events in Perth and Adelaide. Uh, my guess is those already... Actually, you know what? Let me pull up the tour page real quick, Ryan. So we're doing seven events in Australia. I'm looking at this right now. We already did Perth. We did Brisbane. Uh, the day this comes out, we'll be in Sydney. That's probably already sold out. At the time I'm looking at this, there's only a few tickets left anyway. So it's uh, I think it's our biggest stop of the entire tour this year. Almost 2,000 people there. Wow. Uh, Adelaide. You are so popular. It's all you, man. It's the hair and that fake mustache you're wearing. <laughs> Um, we're going to be in Adelaide. That's probably also sold out. That's uh, March 15th. And then uh, Auckland. There are a few tickets left in Auckland, New Zealand. And then we're coming back to do uh, Melbourne, as the kids are saying these days. And when I say kids, I mean Australian kids. Uh, we're going to be in Melbourne. Uh, we have two events there. The first one's already sold out. The second one, by the time this comes out, may or may not be sold out. You can find all the tickets for our March dates in Australia and New Zealand over at theminimalists.com. We also have a video version of this podcast coming really soon. So uh, once we have enough Patreon supporters, so thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Your help means a lot because it's going to allow us to do a, a video version of the podcast, buy all the necessary equipment. And we're in this beautiful space right now because of you. And it's sounding really crisp and clear because you're allowing us to, to buy the equipment we need. So uh, if you want to check out the video version of the podcast, head on over to youtube.com slash The Minimalist. Also, if you want all the show notes that we always talk about, everything we talk about during the podcast, Podcast Sean puts into the show notes for you. We'll send those right to your email. Just go to our website and enter your email address there at the top of theminimalists.com. Also, any th- new essays or anything that we write, we will put out in your inbox as well. But of course, we'll never put spam into your inbox because that stuff's disgusting. We would never sell your email address or anything like that. All right, Ryan, you got anything else for us? I do. I've got some awesome voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. Hi, my name is Kaylee from St. Paul, Minnesota. This message is for Ryan, who recently, well, lost her dad to suicide a couple of years ago and recently called in. I have a feeling that she is angry about maximalists because she doesn't want her father's death to be in vain. 
I too lost my dad to suicide almost eight years ago, and you want their death to mean something. It's so tragic that you want it to have a point. You don't want to have just lost a loved one for no reason. And so here is what you focus on. It is not in vain that they died because now you are aware of issues that can lead to suicide and you can now spread awareness, education, and help reduce the stigma around it. No matter the cause, it needs to be talked about extremely more than it is right now. So he did not die in vain. He did not take his own life for no reason. And you will get past it. Time will help. But doing what you can do to talk about it and help others who go through the situation will help bring you peace as well. I hope, I hope time will heal all wounds. You'll never forget, but it will get better. I promise. Hello, this is Megan. I am 27 from Tempe, Arizona, and I just had a comment so I just got out of, divor- out of a divorce and had to move into a one-bedroom apartment. I previously lived in a three-bedroom house with lots and lots of stuff. And when I moved, I decided I would only take the essentials with me. And so now I'm in a very empty apartment. I don't even have a couch. I've been sitting on the living room floor. Um, But my comment was I have made a list of the things that I want to buy for the apartment and I am waiting two weeks for any item that has been added to the list. And the list, everything has a date on it from when it's added so that I know that I'm waiting enough time to see if it's something that I actually need or if it's something that I can go without. Hi, my name is Astrid and I'm from Sydney. I'd like to leave a tip for Caitlin who spoke on the emotions episode about overthinking and judging. I feel that our goals can be linked to self-judgment and shame if they are not achieved perfectly. We can have ongoing self-criticism as a result and experience rumination about it. My tip is to think about what you might say to a friend who was experiencing the same difficulties. For example, if a friend was overthinking her performance about an exam and feeling stressed, would I criticize and shame them? Or, as a good friend, would I show patience, kindness and encouragement? Caitlin might also try approaching herself as she would a friend who had this difficulty, treating herself like a friend. Caitlin might be looking for external things to make her happy, for example, achieving certain marks on an exam, but might want to instead focus on developing internal resources such as kindness and self-compassion to make her feel better. Caitlin can Google self-compassion and find many activities and exercises to increase this personal resource. All right, y'all, that's it for this episode. If you have a question for The Minimalist, give us a call, 406-219-7839. You can also email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. And if you leave here with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things. 
because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have You gotta reach for and you gotta grab Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it So take your eyes away Or take